Ladies and gentlemen, jury, the prosecution is not going to get that man today. No, because I'm going to get him. Welcome to this end of January, January 31st edition of the Hagman Report. We got a lot going on here at the Hagman Studio. Uh, I guess as people are, are filing in, finding the show at Hagman Report, at Blog Talk Radio, at Global Star Radio Network, as you have probably figured out by now, you don't see a live YouTube option. And we're going to talk about why that is. Uh, because some interesting things have happened in the last 24 hours. You know, I just want, I just want to say thank you to the, uh, morons out there who, who, you know, we're getting too big for our britches, right? Hey, it's not our choice. YouTube turned us off. It's called censorship. Okay. So anyone leaving a comment below the video, below the announcement. Okay. Suck it up. We all, we are. Well, we'll get this figured out. This is not a permanent situation. Uh, just a, Clue, clue folks in under what's going on if you have not seen the latest video at our YouTube channel, The Hagman Report. We streamed in the third hour of the show last night the President's State of the Union address and the feed was a C-SPAN feed. Well, this morning when we were looking at the YouTube channel we noticed that we uh, had an account status change and that was that CNN, the Turner CNN Broadcasting Network filed a copyright claim against the uh, for a portion of the State of the Union address, and what was different about this claim? Usually, you're, you're just unable to to monetize the video. Well, this for whatever reason banned our ability to live stream for 90 days. Now, our uh, team of people, Rhonda, who is working on getting this fixed, is working very hard, and we thank her for that. But we don't know what will come of this. But Eric, John, my dad, Jackie, everybody here has been working hard finding and, and uh, looking at new ways to live stream the show, and we have figured out a solution, which we are going to be putting up the live video on our website. You can access it at hagmanreport.com, and then the show will be uploaded to YouTube the next day or that, that evening. So the shows will still be up there, just not able to view them live. But but you can get them live via HagmanReport.com and Blog Talk Radio. You know, for all the talk of, I've, I've got to tell you, Blog Talk Radio is is an extremely great company. They're fantastic people there. Global Star Satellite Radio, fantastic in terms of video. Um, unfortunately, you know, we're going to have to um, uh, go to the uh, pay-per-view option on our end that we're not going to pass that along to you. You're allowing us through your support. You're, you're allowing us to, uh, to stream video and, uh, that's going to take a, a day or two to set up. So we, we'll be back up with the video. But, but you, but you know, if you have complaints about the way we're doing our, our, our show, take it up with, with YouTube. It's very simple. You contact YouTube and, 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 and. Well, I don't think people really. Yeah. Well, whatever. I mean, it's, it's, you know, when you, when you, when you wake up, at four in the morning and you get this, you are blocked worldwide message to, to me. Okay. Now I guarantee you, 
that if that would have been Barack Hussein Obama, this would not have happened. What do you mean? In other words, if we streamed, we could have taken something from the view, okay, with Barack or, or Michael Obama, Michelle Obama, that is, and, and live streamed it. And I, I don't think this would have happened. That's just my personal Probably opinion. Not. Okay. And I, and I don't even understand what really happened because unless CNN owns C-SPAN, how can they co- claim a copyright? We streamed a C-SPAN feed. Not CNN. Well, uh, anyway, well, see, see, here, this is, and we've been warning about this. You know, Tim Alvarino, his, his YouTube, uh, site, YouTube, uh, channel, Blitz, completely gone. I, I mean, no warning, just wiped off the face of the earth. No explanation. The, con- the, the war against conservatives, and, and people think this is a joke. I, you know, Joe, they, they do. I think, I think a lot of people think that, well, this is not going to happen. Remember the fair use doctor. Remember how that was kind of, uh, yeah. talked about. There's a book called, titled Censorship. And, um, I'm, I'm trying to remember the author. I've got it in, I think I left it at home. Uh, but, but he was talking, the, the author was talking about the, the, uh, fairness doctrine and about how that would affect talk radio and, and other elements of the communication system and, and, uh, frankly, uh, well, you know, we're there. Despite Donald Trump being in office, despite his, um, being the president, he can't fix everything and he's not going to fix everything. So, um, I, I just had to blow off some steam because I, I see some really, and I'm sorry, but moronic statements saying, well, too big for your britches. No, no, not at all. It wasn't our decision. And, uh, you know, so this, this is the way of the future. And, uh, we're going to have to go, you know, we don't have, um, well, Joe and, and everyone should know that it costs money, a lot of money to live stream in any kind of quality video. Alex Jones it pays a ton of money. It costs him a ton of money. To do what he does. And now it's going to cost us a lot of money. But we'll, we'll get it figured out. And we do appreciate the people hanging in there with us. And, uh, we will, we will get this figured out. And as I said, it is just a, a temporary thing as far as the YouTube video will still be, uh, the videos will still be streamed live at Hagman Report and will be up on YouTube. You know, within 24 hours, 12 hours after the show, because three hour shows do take a long time to upload. But, uh, we will get it fixed and we'll, we'll continue to work on this and, uh, find alternatives. And, and, uh, as you said earlier, each problem presents its own opportunity. That's so right. we will, uh, continue to find those opportunities. I was, I was talking to Ted Brower today and, and we, we had a great conversation. By the way, attention factor is now available for purchase at healthmasters.com. Look, I'm not getting paid to say this. I'm just, I'm telling you right now, attention factor. It is the best, uh, mental supplement on the market. And I've been used as a guinea pig for many, <laughs> which is, that explains a lot, right? Um, but the bottom line is this. It, it's available for, for purchase. Now it's not inexpensive. But I'll tell you something. I would buy a case of that 
but here's a great deal. Doug 25, 25% off the purchase price, which basically is a wholesale price. Because I do know the back end of, I shouldn't even say this. I mean, I kind of know what it costs for them to make that. And, uh, that's pretty darn near wholesale. Uh, so Doug 25, attention factor. Oh man. Oh man. You will thank me later. Again, I'm, I'm not getting paid to say this, but, uh, the the uh, mental clarity it provides, and, and for those people who do workouts, and that's not me, of course. I mean, look at me. We, oh yeah, you can't see me, huh? <laughs> uh, anyway, um, it, it also helps in that respect too. So, by the way, uh, so go to Blog Talk Radio and and sign into the chat option there too. Old school, remember? Mm-hmm. Yeah, good people, good people. And we do love blog talk. So the State of the Union address last yeah, night that we let's talk about this. that uh, got the channel demonetized or, or uh, live stream banned for ninety days. Uh, the State of the Union. Let's start with the viewership first of all. Forty five point six million viewers. You can uh, take the audience for Is four of the latest Grammys and, and fit it in there, <laughs> which is a really uh, a really good number and. It was the third longest State of the Union speech in history. Now, okay, what was the? Who was the longest? I, I don't for know. some reason, I'm thinking Clinton uh, had one of the longest, but maybe I'm wrong. I, I just saw that. I just saw that headline today: uh, third longest in history. And I knew it did run pretty long, but uh, it was a very. You can't tell from watching the news, but it was a, a very presidential speech. It was very good. He broke it down and, and, and did a number of things. One, throughout the whole speech, he showed a number of different American stories, whether it was the parents of um, people killed by MS-13 gang members or hero police officers, um, and just throughout the, the speech continued to showcase these great examples of the uh, American heroes and uh, patriots in this country which really set the tone for the whole speech. And then he went on to talk about, uh, one, his accomplishments, and then, two, what his vision for the future was, and really extending an olive branch to Democrats on immigration, going so far as to take the 800,000 DACA uh, that Obama, uh, DACA citizen or people that Obama wanted to uh, or did grant uh, temporary amnesty to, Putting that to 1.8 million. In exchange, he wants an end to chain migration, except for the immediate family, ending of the visa lottery program, and funding for the border wall. And I think that's a great compromise. He talked about uh, the one thing that was um, I had a problem with is the infrastructure and the spending, wanting to spend upwards of 1.5, a minimum of 1.5 trillion dollars on infrastructure. That sounds all well and good, but, uh, you know, I don't think we can continue to expand our national debt to do that. But all in all, it was a great speech. And what really uh, was the after effects of the speech, a CBS poll showed that 75% of their viewers who were polled thought it was a great speech, and that included 97% Republicans, 45% Independents, and 37% of Democrats. Of those Democrats polled, over 45% of them agreed with the speech. But you could not tell from the crazy headlines that we see of the media's response to the State of the Union. One, you had a number of things happen while the speech was ongoing. Representative Gutierrez, while the Congress started to chant USA, fleed the House chamber, that from a headline on Drudge, 
you have the Democratic Black Caucus refusing to clap, and most of the Democrats, and I thought what was really crazy is uh, they would not even clap for the national anthem. They would not clap for lower unemployment numbers. They would not clap for the tax change. And the response from the media is so crazy, and these people are exposing themselves as not only anti-Trump, but completely anti-American at their core. And they're going to pay for it. They're going to hurt in these midterm elections. They're making quickly making themselves very irrelevant. MSNBC's Joy Reid today, uh, this from InfoWars by Paul Joseph Watson, triggered by Trump using the word family. Bizarrely claims the terms family, church, national anthem, are part of a 1950s bygone era. She says that the church, family, police, military, the national anthem, Trump trying to call on the tropes of 1950s-era nationalism. The goal of this speech appears to be to force the normalization of Trump on the terms of the bygone era his supporters are nostalgic for. And Paul Joseph Watson does a really good job of uh, bringing light to this issue, talking about how out of touch Joy Reid is, and how could she seriously consider you know things like church and family and the national anthem to be uh, some sort of uh, you know trend that came around in the, in, in the America's 1950s right after World War II? Never understanding that these are values that America was built on, and they are values of Americans that will never go away. The article says, is she under the impression that the desire for strong families and robust church communities is some post-World War II phenomenon? Does she not realize these things aren't exactly unique to the Leave it to Beaver era? Millions of Americans enjoyed and advocated for these things long before the 1950s, and they've been enjoying them and fighting for them ever since. Again, Joy Reid taking, triggered by the word family. You know who else was triggered? The ACLU, as they wrote an open letter in defiance of Trump's State of the Union address and complained that Trump used the word America more than 80 times. The American Civil Liberties Union noted the word American in its title, complained uh, yeah, complained Tuesday night about the president's repeated use of the word America. And I'm not going to read this letter, but just part of it, uh, where they say, President Trump said the word America more than 80 times in his speech. Yet, after a divisive first year, we hear and feel how exclusionary that America is with its policies that have harmed so many vulnerable American communities. ACLU stands ready to protect these communities, both in the courts and at the polls. I mean, is this really all the political opposition in this country has left? As the Kennedy guy was up there drooling... (laughs) in his anti-Trump speech as he brought a transgendered vet to the State of the Union. It's pretty crazy. Even the Washington Post changed the headline. Yeah, we're, we're seeing so much craziness out there. Yeah. yeah. I mean, did yeah. you see, if you could just go, anybody goes to newsbusters.org, look at their front page and all the examples that are put up there from the State of the Union coverage. One, you have NBC, as Trump was coming out, introducing himself in the State of the Union, saying, don't forget, Trump's under criminal investigation. CNN, MSNBC, journalists invoke David Duke in recapping State of the Union. Uh, you have the, the view, the, the uh, horrible ladies of the view were offended and outraged.
because Trump said Americans are dreamers too. Mika Brzezinski, Dems not clapping for the great dictator Trump. They even criticized the couple, the police officer who helped the, the homeless pregnant woman, stopped her from putting a needle in her arm of heroin when she was on the streets. They later adopted the baby. The media is accusing these parents of guilting the birth mom during the State of the Union. And it goes on and on and on. The Democrats even booed Trump when he pointed out that MS-13 gang members are committing violence and and killing people, some of whom the parents of uh, two girls were there at the State of the Union. But they were offended that he could tie immigration to MS-13. Well, they're not Americans. (laughs) It's crazy. I mean, these people are make they're committing suicide. They are done. They're no longer relevant, and as I said at the beginning, they're not only anti-Trump, they are anti-American, and they're showing themselves as as such. And as we continue to move forward in this year, as the midterms are coming up, you're going to see further self-destruction of the Democratic Party. Uh, Yeah, I I agree. And I also see the um, equally important, I think, I see a flashpoint being reached. And I wonder how many people feel this too. We're seeing such a, 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 polit- a, a, a divide in this country. The, the divide is worsening. It's being exacerbated by the progressives. And this is what they want. Or they'll bring everybody into, un- or most people into unity as most rational people who have common sense. How can you get behind? a politician or a group of politicians or political party that openly advocates against America's founding principles in favor of open borders puts the illegal immigrant over the American citizen puts communism over our republic this is not sustainable for the Democratic Party and I don't think they know how bad they're hurting themselves people are going to understand in this midterm election that if the Democrats regain power in the House and Senate, that Trump is on the hook for impeachment, even though he didn't do nothing. At this point, we know that does not matter. Are we going to let that happen? Or, in another way of putting it, are the Democrats going to self-destruct by that time to where they're not as relevant anymore? I mean, the, the American people care about a number of things. The economy is one of them. The security and safety of our nation is another one. Immigration's up there, too, but not in the same way the media presents it. I keep hearing these pundits say, oh, you know, the, 95% of the American people want to see amnesty for illegal aliens. But they can't even compromise. They say the compromises that Trump threw out there yesterday were offensive and an insult. Nancy Pelosi has a problem with the word chain migration, even though it's a left policy. So as we continue to move forward in this Trump administration, we are going to continue to see these people in their state of insanity. And it's only going to get worse or better, depending on your view of their insanity. Now, as far as the FISA memo and news on that, it as of right now, it has not been released. The um, memo meeting, however, was released now. The, the transcript of Monday night's memo meeting was released. Okay. Now, 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 follow me on this. It was on Monday, January 29th, the House 
Permanent Select Committee on Intelligence. They met to discuss the release of the classified memo. But what we've come to know is the FISA memo, the four-page executive summary. Now, and this, of course, this memo outlines the corruption within the Department of Justice and how the Department of Justice and the FBI used fraudulent material to apply for FISA surveillance warrants on American citizens. And, you know, if it can happen, and it did, to President Donald Trump, it could happen to you and I. Now, the committee transcript was released, and you can find it in the PDF format. Let me, uh, I have to, uh, I've got to print it out, but I don't, uh, I believe it's on the uh, House Intelligence Committee's website, or the website for the House. Um, real simple. The, uh, it's unclassified, and it, uh, what is it? It's about a 51-page document. Um, the highlights here, you know, I'm not sure how far we need to go into this. Well, while you're uh, getting that yeah, together. We really we don't have, have to. I mean, honestly, it's it's just it, it, it just so people know. Uh, again, I, just so there's no fraudulent or, or no, you know, people saying, well, the memo was released. No, the meeting to the memo was released. Um, big difference, a transcript of the House uh, committee meeting. But uh, uh, the bottom line here, and, and then you know, I'll turn it back over to you. I would look for names to be named, including uh, McCabe, Rosenstein, Rosenstein, yep, and and even Comey. Um, Deep state in panic, according to yep. Jim Hoff, the Gateway Pundit, FBI Director, and DOJ's Rod Rosenstein, plead with White House not to release the explosive FISA memo. Even Judge Napolitano says that Rosenstein is worried. The FBI even came out today saying they have grave concerns. <laughs> grave con- The FBI has grave concerns about this memo. Of course they do. They and their top personnel are implicated as part of this conspiracy against Donald Trump. Right. The FBI, the White House, and the chairman of the House Intel Committee were embroiled in a public standoff Wednesday over the expected release of a Republican memo criticizing the Bureau's use of surveillance orders. Now, in a highly unusual move, the FBI issued a statement challenging the classified memo's anticipated release, saying we have grave concerns about the material omissions of fact that fundamentally impact its accuracy. Hmm. Of course they're going to have a problem with it. They're the ones that are most heavily implicated along with the DOJ. And and people have to remember that this... Uh, the FISA memo, the four-page executive summary memo, is just the beginning. It's just the tip of the spear, because the uh, the foundational documents from this, and, and I said this in my morning show, and I, I keep saying this: the, the foundational documents are so critical to understand the um, what happened and, and the collusion. Think about this: you have Joe, you've got two subcontractors. CrowdStrike for one and Fusion GPS for another that, mm-hmm. that, that are, uh, that, that are getting raw intelligence from the fruits of the, the, the tools of the surveillance apparatus, the intelligence community. Imagine that. And, and of course, the unmasking portion. So you've got the, the, the various aspects of this, but, um, the, the weaponizing of our intelligence apparatus against private citizens, against Donald Trump, they attempted to change the course of a political campaign, but even more importantly, they attempted to change the course of our nation. And yeah. that's what people need to understand. And, and people like Adam Schiff, 
Uh, he's in trouble personally, yeah. apparently, from this, according to uh, what Jim Jordan said. That I uh, went asked or pressed as to what you know people are going to feel the heat when this memo is released. He personally pointed out Adam Schiff saying that Schiff protected Fusion GPS, even went to court to protect them to not have to disclose their financial records. And Devin Nunez has made a statement firing back at the FBI officials, calling their their objections of the memo release spurious. It's clear, Nunez said, that top officials used unverified information in a court document to fuel a counterintelligence investigation during an American political campaign. Once the truth gets out, we can begin taking steps to ensure our intelligence agencies and courts are never misused like this again. And he's right. Well, he's exactly right. And it's going to come out. Kelly, chief of staff of Trump, today on the news said it will be released very quickly. I anticipate tomorrow, possibly you said Friday. It's going to be one of those two days. They did say it would be released this week. And I think Donald Trump is taking this very seriously, is him and the staff. And I think they're looking at this. Um, they're, they're pouring over, I'm sure they're pouring over the, the memo, perhaps that they've requested uh, access to the foundational documents. I don't know. But when this hits, it's going to leave a mark. And, and, and think about how this is going to shape the uh, Sunday morning shows, if, if, it's, if it gets released Friday, for example, or even tomorrow. And I was kind of half, half expecting to see it today. Yeah, I thought it could be dropped today. But I think, you know, <laughs> when we see this reaction to the President's State of the Union address, I think uh, maybe he's given them time to, uh, you know, make bigger fools of themselves before they do it again when the memo is released. Maybe they're framing their own uh, argument to present to the American people with the release of the memo. Now, Fox News just yeah. reported the memo to be released tomorrow. Tomorrow? Yep. Okay. Well, this is good. I, and we're, we're seeing the blowback, as you mentioned earlier. You've got many corrupt, still in place, FBI and Department of Justice officials who are fighting back against this intelligence oversight memo. Multiple people within the U.S. Department of Justice. Multiple people within the FBI. Uh, this has never been in doubt that, uh, or since the Department of Justice and FBI officials made direct admissions to the FISA court that they intentionally manipulated the court system for political purposes. If you check that 99-page document from um, April of 2017, April 26, 2017, it, 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 it goes into great detail. And Michael Horowitz, who will be, I, I truly believe, a, a, uh, a white hat or someone who will provide a lot of information about um, a, a lot of investigative detail to the extent of the intelligence uh, weaponization, but uh, uh, you've got people who are fighting this, as you said, Joe. The, um, the the current former officials within the Department of Justice, the National Security Division, FBI, the Counterintelligence Division, they're at the heart of the corruption here, and, and they have a vested interest in trying to stop the public from from this exposure, and, and they're aided by this uh, politicized media. Who are attempting to shield the the very same people, the corrupt officials, uh, who are in direct opposition to President Donald Trump and, and the American people? Understand that, that, that we're talking about violations of the Fourth Amendment here. This is huge stuff. So, um, and, and I will say this: the uh, uh, Chairman Devin Nunes released a statement today. And I'll just read this. It's very short. Uh, having stonewalled Congress's demands for information for nearly a year, it's no surprise to see the FBI and the Department of Justice 
issue spurious objections to allowing the American people to see information related to surveillance abuses at these agencies. This is what you referenced earlier. The FBI is intimately familiar with material omissions with respect to their presentations to both Congress and the courts, and they are welcome to make public to the greatest extent possible all of the information they have on these abuses. Now, regardless, it's clear that the top officials used unverified information in a court document. And if I was a FISA court judgment, I would be really hacked off uh, in this to fuel a counterintelligence investigation during an American political campaign. This is third world banana republic stuff. This, you know, for, for all the talk about yep. KGB, this is the KGB tactics. I was reading a, a book from your bookshelf earlier today, Communism and the New Left. And one of the chapters 19, there, 1970, World, uh, World News and, World, uh, yeah, World News and Report, 1970. One of the chapters in there is titled Russian Spying. I believe it's Russian Spying. Yeah, I think that's the, the chapter. And it details the allegiance of the, the communist left and uh, the American left and how they're so intertwined. And it's so funny to see them use this Russia thing as they continue to try to uh, put down Donald Trump. And one thing that we saw that come out of uh, the news on the Russia investigation is that the president's lawyers say that Robert Mueller has not met the high threshold of evidence to even have an interview with Donald Trump. Citing sources familiar with the ongoing deliberations, CNN reported that Trump's legal team is arguing the investigation has not met the high threshold required for a legal action involving a sitting president, who is the enforcer of a nation's laws and technically the boss of whoever would be interviewing him. And this is a, a absolutely 100% true. I agree with this. Obviously, the left is not going to like it during the, uh, as I said earlier, the run-up to the to the State of the Union address. You had MSNBC and Tuck Chod and Andrew, Andrea Mitchell um, making the point to, to butt into the State of the Union speech to, to remind everybody that this is the president who is under criminal investigation. Criminal obstruction charges will be coming. Do, do not forget this. And... Does anybody believe that? What I mean, impression were you trying? That, that was just a, a, a dumb liberal voice. Okay, all right. No, nobody in particular. But it is just uh, these people are stuck on stupid, and they're they and their party and the people that they've been protecting in the FBI and in the DOJ is going to fall. That that whole narrative is going to fall apart, including the Robert Mueller investigation. And at this point, I believe if he held if Mueller held a press conference right now and said to the nation that he was charging Trump with obstruction of justice, more than half the country wouldn't go for it. They would not accept that. Are, are, are we headed to a, a fighting, shooting civil war here? Eventually. I, I'm, I'm thinking that to be the case. Eventually. I mean, look at the, the, the rhetoric in the news, in the establishment in Hollywood alone. As we talked about yesterday, Michael Moore talking about, you know, we need to... to and white privilege and Nancy Pelosi. Trump's immigration plan is to make America white again. I, I talked about Michael Savage and his thoughts on uh, a potential uh, civil war, but even more so than that, he's talking about the uh, potential for violence that rhetoric will bring in the short term, whether it's kids on a playground or in school. Uh, it, it emboldens people and, and allows them to think that they're, you know, it's, it's a moral thing to uh, attack white people. But it's not just about race. 
this is not CNN. We don't focus on race all the time. But this is the direction that this country is going. And as they become more desperate, as they become less relevant, they're going to get bolder and bolder. Uh, you know, you're going to see things again, like we saw with Madonna calling the, for people to bomb the White House and on and on and on. We're going to see repeat behaviors uh, uh the, these people. And it's going to come to a point where they will threaten violence. They will be calling for violence as they become less relevant. So maybe it will come to some kind of physical altercation. Not that anybody wants that, but that's the direction they, the other side, are pushing this to. Now, uh, this I didn't have time to really dig into this, but Judicial Watch released an interesting piece today. Documents reveal Obama State Department provided classified records to Senator Ben Cardin to undermine President Trump. (laughs) There's 42 pages of a heavily redacted State Department documents containing classified information that was provided to Senator Ben Cardin, a Democrat of Maryland. On the, he was the top Democrat on the Senate Foreign Relations Committee and outspoken critic of Trump. The documents show Russia political interference in elections and politics in countries across Europe. Now, I'm not going to read this whole thing because it's very long, but what is said here is that, uh, the, the Senator Ben Cardin received this classified information with the Obama administration attempting to disseminate the material widely across the government in order to aid in future investigations, according to this report. Obama officials were concerned that the Trump administration would cover this intelligence up once power changed hands. Then this uh, report from Judicial Watch goes on to document a number of instances where some people made TV appearances and whatnot talking about this intelligence. It goes through mainstream media reports, on and on and on. But what's telling about this is that the Obama administration and their State Department, under John Kerry, gathered and sent its own dossier of classified information on Russia to Senator Cardin, a political ally in the U.S. Senate, to undermine President Trump. And they say Judicial Watch will pursue information on who pulled this classified information, who authorized its release, and why was it evidently dumped just days before Trump's inauguration. So, and this also details um, this uh, this Russian lawyer, Natalia, which was used as an attempt to set up Donald Trump. And this guy, him yeah. To, yeah. Yeah, tie him to, uh, <laughs> it, it, to Russia. It, it, people have to understand, too, that that uh, Natalia Veselnoskaya and, and Tracy Beans does a great job in uh, in her last couple of uh, investigative videos. But Veselnoskaya was in this country on a visa granted by the Obama administration. Um, she was already here. This whole thing is just absolutely crazy when you get really into it. Um, but yes, you're you're right. The 42 page, um, the 42 pages of Redacted State Department documents pertaining to the classified information that was provided to Cardin of, of Maryland. Um, and, and again, he was on the, as you mentioned, or as you referenced, top Democrat on the Senate Foreign Relations Committee, very critical of Donald Trump. The documents show that the Russian political interference in elections, uh, you know, and in the various political spheres in other countries, including all across Europe, but, well, and, and, and you know whose name comes up in this? 
if you look at March 2017, former Obama Deputy Assistant Secretary of Defense Evelyn Farkas, and I go back and I've I've done this in my morning show. There's a three minute or there's a um, a very important audio segment or appearance. She appeared on MSNBC, and and she had talked about the uh, subsequent to uh, Obama or after Donald Trump won, and I don't know how many people remember this or saw this, Evelyn Farkas was on MSNBC saying that uh, uh, she was urging people to get rid of or hide the documentation about the uh, surveillance of Donald Trump because she knew that he was coming in and didn't know. I mean, her excuse was he wanted them to, wanted the information destroyed or or. or uh, sent to the hill, I guess is, is the way she put it, but, and meaning Capitol Hill, but, um, the bottom line is she didn't want anyone to know that surveillance was conducted on Donald Trump, but very specifically how they conducted the surveillance in what manners, manners and methods. A very telling audio segment on MSNBC by Evelyn Farkas, and that relates to the document provided. Uh, that, that you referenced about uh, Ben Cardin to uh, uh, that undermined President Trump. So I just want to okay. mention that Evelyn Farkas, that that's a name everyone should remember, and uh, look up the, the look up the MSNBC clip Evelyn Farkas, and on MSNBC, and when you listen to it, I mean your jaw will drop. This is interesting, uh, and I don't know if you have any thoughts on this or if you saw this earlier. Robert Mueller requests postponement of General Mike Flynn's sentencing. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, on December 1st, 2017, the defendant entered a guilty plea to an information charging the defendant with making false statements in violation of USC 18. Due to the status of the special counsel's investigation, the parties do not believe that this matter is ready to be scheduled for a sentencing hearing at this time. What is that about? Okay. You've got, and think about this. So you've got the, the General Mike Flynn sentencing coming up. What is he charged with? He's charged with lying to officials, which really the process, is it called the process. It's, it's, it's right. It's an inchoate crime. Well, no, um, yeah, I guess it would be an inchoate crime, but it's a process crime. But it's, it's a crime that it's not used generally. But when you look at this against the backdrop that the FBI surveillance and wiretaps that were, that were obtained through materially and intentionally false representations to a FISA court. And against the backdrop, the original FISA judge was recused from the case. Think Rudolph Contreras. Remember, I mentioned that name before, at least in my morning show. Okay. And against the increasing evidence that Flynn was set up, set up. I mean, this man was actually, this was a sting operation, as the entire thing was. Now you've got Flynn coming out. Well, and the other thing too, the um, evidence that the, and this is one of the reasons why McCabe was shown the door that the 302s, the FBI 302s were, were changed at the direction of McCabe. These are the allegations. What are 302s? They're, the bottom line is that it's, it's a, it's a, it's a form that's used when the FBI talks to you, uh, subsequent to your conversation. Since they don't record it, they'll, go back to the office and write a 302, which is just a summary of the conversation. But McCabe reportedly told investigators to uh, to change the information on the 302s, the interrogation documents. Now, against the against all of that, 
Now we see Mueller asking for a postponement of sentencing. So, what does that mean? Should we read anything into that? I think so. I, I, I truly believe that we are, um, that we are seeing perhaps some sort of, uh, they're gonna have to walk some things back. I, I guess this is, the only time I've seen this happen in real life is when, um, the prosecution would, the, the prosecution receives exculpatory evidence and then petitions the judge for a dismissal. That's the only time I've ever seen anything like this happen. Uh, aside from normal, uh, of course there are sentencing uh, postponements for normal things, but if there's nothing given like, you know, sickness of a prosecutor or, uh, some other reason, I'm looking at something a little bit, maybe a little bit different here. I don't know. I, I, that's just kind of my thinking. Because I, I, th- I think uh, I, I think that this could be appealed, uh, given the exculpatory evidence contained in the in the FISA abuse well, for the, the memo. Okay. What about what, what, what we we just went over with uh, from the Washington Times? The Trump lawyer saying that Trump or Mueller has not met the threshold uh, as far as evidence or proof of anything wrong is concerned. Therefore. He has not reached the, uh, he should not be able to sit down in, with an interview for President Trump. Say that this is the way that this continues. What can Mueller do? I mean, Trump is his boss. Trump does not have to well, comply. What can right. Mueller do at that point? I mean, charge him out of spite? Um, <laughs> what can, what are, what, what would his options be? Well, he, he would be, and that's a good point. Charge him with obstruction for not, you know, doing the interview. No, I think I think it might we might see just a case of uh, you know Mueller closing up shop. Uh, look, I don't know, uh, or coming out with a statement that there's no foundation for the uh, the mandate of Mueller's mandate, which, which was the, which they all believed in, even in the FBI before they launched it. Well, it was it was set up that way, though, and I think if you listen to people like Dan Bongino, for example, the, him being one, um, this whole thing was a sting operation. And when it when it's disclosed, you know, the courts don't like to. I got to tell you, the courts do not like to be um, messed with. The prosecutorial misconduct is, is they don't tolerate that, and they don't tolerate warrants obtained through malicious or um, uh, you know, fa- false means. So there's more to this going on in the background, I think, than than we're than we're seeing. I, look, I, I think all of this. I think, well, I think this postponement is, is is a big deal. We're gonna uh, be joined by Daniel Horowitz after the break, so we're gonna get his opinion on all this, from the State of the Union to the Mueller investigation to his book, Stolen Sovereignty. But it's a uh, It'll be interesting to see how this plays out. And we are, uh, as we have seen since last week, with we, we see the ball rolling on these Strauch text messages, which I have some news on. I just got to find the piece of information. Some more text messages have been released. And it looks like Robert Mueller might be more involved in this McCabe-struck uh, oh, yeah. cabal, <laughs> uh, more so than uh, oh, yeah. anybody thought, because... 
in text messages between Strauch and Page, it is showing as early as the very beginning of June that they were meeting with Mueller and they were laying out a plan. Now, what that plan was is not talked about, but in the messages, it does say they were meeting with Mueller. Nobody so. likes dirty cops. <laughs> and and no. to, to, to the extent that, that they could be classified as such, Mueller would be a dirty cop, in my view, as would be Strzok and Page. Yeah. Uh, Page on the administrative side, but Strzok being the uh, FBI agent. So, uh, okay. Well, either way. Uh, watch this carefully. And, and, and watch the blowback, because this will be, and as I said, coming out Monday morning, this is going to be a, a historic week. We had the State of the Union yesterday, and, of course, now we've got uh, the, the FISA memo, the four-page memo, and, and that's just the beginning. That's just the beginning. This memo is just the start. Um, don't forget, you've got Loretta Lynch. You've got Andy McCabe. Loretta Lynch on the, on the DOJ side, and then Sally Yates. Let's not forget these names. And then Bruce Orr and John Carlin, who resigned. So you've got Loretta Lynch, Sally Yates, Bruce Orr, and John Carlin. And then on the, on the, on the FBI side, you've got, um, James Comey, Andrew McCabe, gone, gone. Then you've got James Baker and somebody who, whose name is not really mentioned all that often, Bill Priestap. Bill Priestap is head of, was head of the counterintelligence of the FBI. Who struck reported to. So, in, in the, the, whether you're talking about the Hillary emails, um, that investigation where James Comey exonerated her, of mm-hmm. course, in May, uh, through, uh, all the, the, this <laughs> evolving memo. And then, of course, um, in July 5th, 13 and a half or 13 minutes, and she's, you know, exonerated. Uh, who, who took part in the, the creation of that memo and in the editing of that memo? That was Strzok, right? Strzok and McCabe. Step, McCabe. Yeah, they were all involved in this. It was like a group effort, group exoneration. And then, of course, you've got Hillary Clinton at the epicenter of all this, along with Obama. But remember this. All roads lead to Obama. Everything that we're seeing here, whether we're talking about the surveillance abuses, Obama knew about this through his presidential daily briefings. Obama signed off on the unmaskings early on, um, which involved Susan Rice, for example, as well as some even Samantha Power. Um, think about this. So all roads lead to Obama as well as Clinton. Now, Obama and Clinton, they don't really like each other that much, but they're, they're on parallel paths. So this is a, a, a really intricate, I mean, there are a lot of moving parts to this. So uh, just, you, you've got to really understand where, where we're headed with this. And I think once this, this four page document comes out, the, the people who are intellectually honest will be asking for more. They'll be asking for, uh, the background information. And I think, I think that we'll see that. Uh, I mean, just look at the House Intelligence Committee transcript of Monday night's memo meeting. Um, 51 pages again. It's, it's on the website at the, uh, House Intel site. Uh, look at the reaction by the corrupt FBI officials fighting back against the intelligence oversight memo, the release thereof. Look at, uh, Comey. Have you, have you seen some of his tweets and stuff? The, this self-righteous pompous <laughs> idiot, Yeah. Man? He sent out a, a, a tweet of support for 
Andrew McCabe about how the small man is trying to take down the, the big loving agency. And it's a joke. You remember Comey talking about it when he was testifying about, uh, you know, how he felt bullied and, uh, you know, he was, uh, uh, physically intimidated by Trump when Trump was asking him questions. This guy is, I can't even say what I think, but we all know the character of Comey. He is a Hillary Clinton, uh, bag man, you know, covering up the, the trail of destruction everywhere they go. And Robert Mueller is no different. I heard, um, somebody on Sean Hannity's show, I believe it was Louis Gomert, uh, the, re- the representative from Texas, and he outlined uh, for about three minutes straight a-, a case after case where Robert Mueller has been on the wrong side of history from what we talked about from his helping to cover up the Saudi Arabia connections to 9-11 and allowing uh, the-, the flights of the Saudi people to leave when all other flights were grounded to his handling of the Boston Marathon bombing and many other uh, prosecutorial misconduct in the FBI where they had cases against mafia and other members where they went on to create fake evidence when they had all the evidence that they needed and then the FBI whistleblower who pointed it out was fired while the person who created the lies were promoted inside Robert Mueller's FBI and he went on, I'm sure you can find it on YouTube or or somewhere else uh, Hannity, uh, Louis Gohmert interview from yesterday but i'm sure there's so many more instances of his terrible leadership and one other thing that gomer pointed out that uh, mueller was responsible for and that was the fbi training into uh, islamic terrorism they neutered the fbi manuals to remove indicators that was mueller it was robert mueller and i mean and, and that leads to what he said about the Boston Marathon bombing and how that could have been prevented because you remember the Sarnev brothers were interviewed by the FBI and kind of listed as as a, a possible threat. But these FBI agents did not know what to look for, uh, apparently, because all that training material was taken out, taken out by Robert Mueller. And we could go on and on and on and on about this. But, um, they, as I said... Well, the, the this left, is easy, easily the biggest story of our lifetime. Right now it is, yeah. Yes, it is. And, uh, again, back to what Jim Hoff from Gateway Pundit wrote, FBI Director and DOJ Rosenstein plead with White House not to release the memo. Judge Napolitano said that the president's going to release the memo, and the FBI and DOJ do not want it out because they believe it reveals sources and methods. What? Your, your sources of Hillary Clinton Crappy and your sources. methods of, yeah. of, you know, manipulating and, and creating the lies and disinformation. And he goes on to say they don't think it can be effectively redacted. How do we know this? Because Christopher Ray, the FBI director, and Rosenstein, the number two at the DOJ, uh, and others, has spent an hour and a half with General Kelly, the president's chief of staff yesterday afternoon, trying to persuade him of the potential dangers of the memo coming out. We'll think, we'll think about this. Christopher Ray goes into the the, the bowels of the Congress on, on Sunday. Mm-hmm. Reads the, the r- memo. R- reads the four-page document. But, but there were other... There were other documents that he read, or that he was given access to. That being the Intel, the um, Inspector General's report of investigation as well. Now, what did he read that caused him to leave and within really twelve hours send uh, McCabe packing on, put him on terminal leave? Yep. What 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 did he see? Well, they're they're trying to say it wasn't the memo. It's what uh 
Ray saw in the preliminary IG report on right, the exactly. email investigation. And, and that, okay. And, and then I think a lot of people are missing the importance of the Michael Horowitz arm of this investigation. And, and this, I, the Horowitz investigation has been going on a long time. You've got a document turnover of 1.2 million documents by Horowitz. Um, the OIG's investigation. You had the FISA court audit from April 26th of 2017. So you've got all of these documents that show an out of control, a weaponized intelligence apparatus, intelligence agency. And, and, and think of the names, Clapper. <laughs> Brennan uh, from the CIA side, the Muslims yeah. of the past, Comey as well on the FBI side at that time. Previous to that, Mueller, Mueller is so conflicted, it would be it's crazy to even see him having the possibility of him being the special counsel. I can almost see where we will have a secondary special counsel if the Department of Justice does not do their job the way they need to do it, or merely appointing a secondary special counsel to investigate the uh, crimes. And I say crimes, not scandals, within the Department of Justice and the FBI. Because what Michael Horowitz is coming out with is much more dangerous, or, or not damaging, I should say, than um, than the FISA memo, the FISA abuses. That's bad enough. But when you look at uh, the the uh, the Horowitz investigation, I think because of the length of time and because of all of the well, the way this the the, 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 the just buckle up because that's going to really that's going to leave a mark. So that's my that's my thought on this. Well, we have just a, a few minutes till the break. Want to make sure we mention this? There was a train crash that is causing a lot of uh, chatter on the internet, where a number of Republican members were in a train that was headed for West Virginia to some sort of retreat as they were with family and whatnot, and they hit a truck, or a truck hit them, and that is what uh, people are talking about. Was there something nefarious going on here? Some people believe that there was, others say there's not, but it's interesting nonetheless. This train uh, and truck collided, leaving the driver of the truck dead and a number of people injured. I think five people from the train went to the hospital, one in critical condition, but all of the lawmakers who were injured, they had very minor injuries. But nonetheless, uh, uh, very rare, I guess, to see something like this happen. And we've seen a number of Amtrak train crashes over the years, but not ones usually involving uh, members of the Congress or Senate. But something to keep keep your eyes on as um, we move forward. I want to make sure we touch on this, too. Twitter followers vanish amid inquiries into fake accounts. More than a million followers have disappeared from the accounts of dozens of prominent Twitter users in recent days, as the company is facing growing criticism over the proliferation of fake accounts. People losing followers include an array of entertainers, entrepreneurs, athletes, and media figures, many of whom bought Twitter followers or artificial engagement from a company called Demovie? Doomvie? I don't know. Either way, people are complaining because they're, uh, famous people are complaining because they're losing tons and tons of Twitter followers as these old accounts are banned. Very interesting. And just a quick uh, note to those of you who joined us late, we are not on YouTube today. We will not be on YouTube live, at least throughout the rest of this week, 
We will, however, be streaming live video on Hagman Report, and those shows will be uploaded to YouTube directly after we are finished with them. So, you know, pretty much by the next morning, as soon as you wake up, whether that's 3 in the morning or 6 in the morning, those videos or shows will be there. But we were banned from live streaming for 90 days for airing the State of the Union, catching a copyright violation from a company we didn't even use the stream from. We use C-SPAN, and CNN filed the copyright claim. Rhonda and her team are working on helping us try to resolve this with YouTube. But either way, we will be back on video tomorrow. Just make sure you visit Hagman Report for that well, video feed. Well, that's the plan. Live. That's, the, that's plan. the plan. Yeah. So you know things could change, but we're work- Eric is working overtime. So, yeah. All right. So we will be right back with Daniel Horowitz. He's the author of Stolen Sovereignty, but we're going to get his take on the State of the Union address as well as the media reaction to that address when we come back. Don't go anywhere. Live on the Global Star Radio Network and Blog Talk Radio, as well as YouTube. YouTube now, dark on the live feed. We'll be back, um, back with video most likely tomorrow, and then we'll upload our episodes, uh, on YouTube. And anyone has a problem with that, uh, you can contact YouTube. You can, uh, you know, send YouTube a, a letter of objection. Uh, that of course is stemming from our, uh, live broadcast or, uh, streaming of the President's State of the Union address. With us this hour, Daniel Horowitz. Daniel Horowitz, a fantastic, I mean, a very prolific writer, an author. Uh, his website, conservativereview.com. Follow him on Twitter at rmconservative. He's come out with a couple of, uh, a couple of new articles, but his book, uh, stolen sovereignty. It's a must read. Let me tell you. And, and there are a number of takeaways from stolen sovereignty. As as I've read this book, it's a it's a tremendous book. By the way, just give me a thumbs up when he's on. Oh, we're good. Perfect. All right. He's joined us before, but uh, now with with the State of the Union in our rearview mirror, the second one, um, and uh, all of the things that we're seeing right now, the uh, uh, Pentagon blocking. Uh, Watchdog from reporting the truth about Afghanistan. So many, so many things to talk about with Daniel Horowitz. Mr. Horowitz, thank you so much for joining us tonight. Hey, it's great to be with you, and I'm sorry that the uh, the video is not working. I would have gotten into my pajamas already had I known. Yeah, <laughs> yeah it was a, a crazy thing that happened, and we're still trying to figure it out. Hopefully, we we can get it resolved. Well, but either way, yeah, yeah, yeah. We and just to let our audience know that we we're, we're going to be uh, using a different video platform, and of course, that just is horribly expensive. But nonetheless, uh, to provide video, and then we'll upload it to YouTube later on. So we're only going to be down a day or two today or tomorrow in terms of the live video. But uh, we'll be back up. So, but th- thanks for 
Thanks for bearing with us on this. And uh, uh, so, so your book, fantastic book, Stolen Sovereignty. It's still going great guns. I mean, it's it's. Uh, I cannot say enough good about it. Uh, except, thank you for writing it. And I would urge everyone to buy it to purchase a copy of Stolen Sovereignty. How, how, by the way, how is that going? You know what? It's funny because the book is more relevant than when I wrote it about a year and a half ago. It's literally playing out every day. I mean, we're seeing this with the the courts going nuts. We're seeing it with immigration debate pretty much on a daily basis. And uh, really nothing else matters. You know, I was joking around with people last night. I was saying Anthony Kennedy should have delivered the State of the Union address. I mean, he's all that matters these days. Yeah. Well, it was amazing to see some of the reaction uh, in the media to the Trump speech, the State of the Union. And, uh, you know, we expect to see uh, their twists, their lies, their attacks on Trump. But really, in my opinion, they took it to a new level uh, last night and today. And I just have to ask you, do you think the American people see through their – it's not even anti-Trump bias at this point. It's anti-American bias. Do you think the American people at large see that? You know, I think that was the biggest thing he accomplished last night. As a matter of policy, there wasn't much new. Conservatives agree with most of what he said. The couple things that are kind of big government, liberal stuff is not really new. He's been saying it for a while. What was new is this. We've spent an entire year where Trump is portrayed as almost the sinister character behind the scenes. You only see these drip, drip sound bites from him, little tweets that are filtered through the media, and he looks like a really bad guy. And what's happening is his policies are popular, but his personality is not. This is an exact opposite dynamic of Obama, um, whose policies were were terribly unpopular, but his personality kind of, for whatever reason, was very popular until the bitter end. And and what he needed to do wasn't a matter of selling his ideas. um, It was the persona. People needed to see a likable persona And not only did I think they saw that because this was a very long speech, and by the way, usually State of the Union addresses are meaningless. They're meaningless, they don't move the needle, and the shorter they are, the better. In this case, it did move the needle, and the fact that it was long was better because people need to see a serious presidential-style speech from him. Particularly coming from Trump, it actually means a lot. That's number one. And number two is... He successfully exposed what you and I have known for a while, which is the takeover of the Democrat Party by the alt-left, whether it's the media, the Democrat Party, all their institutions. And what I mean by alt-left is not just, yeah, I'm for big government, lots of subsidies, welfare programs. It's that you don't believe in fundamental Americanism. You don't believe that Americans are dreamers, too. You don't believe in standing for the national anthem. You, you don't believe in talking about church and the military and the police and, and the basic institutions that make America great. Um, you know, the fact that you, you saw Democrat Senator Joe Manchin from West Virginia attempting to stand up um, you know, for one of the just throwaway lines yeah. about the country growing, and he got a dirty look from from Chuck Schumer, basically uh, uh, making him uh, put his manhood back in the box. I mean, <laughs> I saw that. It's confusing. That's what, think, that's what he accomplished. You know, people think this this guy is some nutty, crazy pyromaniac, and they hear, "Wow, you know, this is this is actually pretty pretty common sense." He sounded pretty moderate, 
And these guys looked absolutely extreme. And I think that is really where the opportunity exists. Um, you know, they were on a pretty bad trajectory to lose big time in the midterm elections. But between them finally accomplishing something with the tax cuts, the economy coming around, him making a lot of very assertive moves on foreign policy, putting America first, um, and for the most part, uh, pursuing very good policies on immigration, and the Democrats are just out of control, I think there's a real opportunity so long as he connects the rhetoric with definitive policies and connects the, those policies with the right personnel. Very well said, and I, I agree with you 100% on the, the uh, implementation of some of what he laid out yesterday. And if we can, let's just go through some of this a little bit. I didn't really disagree with much of anything he said, except some of the numbers he threw out when talking about infrastructure. But let's look at immigration first, because this is one of the uh, has been one of the, the most front and center issues uh, that we've seen in the last month with the the government shutdown and really the left trying to hold the government hostage for amnesty. We saw Trump make an offer. He said four parts of his plan. One, he would create a pathway to citizenship for 1.8 million uh, people, and this is over a million more than what Obama did with his DACA executive order. He also said another part of this, he wants the border security funded. He wants to end chain migration and except for immediate family members, you know, children and parents, and he wants to end the visa lottery program. Now, the visa lottery program, I think there's, there should be no debate there whatsoever, but on the left or the right. It should be ended. It's a ridiculous policy. And we see that um, the last two terrorist attacks from New York City were uh, by people who took advantage of that visa lottery program. The chain migration. I saw a lot of pushback on the news this morning about this. Everything from Nancy Pelosi saying that the term chain migration is, is racist to uh, the left saying that this is unacceptable. How We can't let him do this. Why won't the left compromise on this issue? You know, it's funny. As, as you uh, follow many of my articles at Conservative Review, I go through a lot of history. A big part of my book, Stolen Sovereignty, is about national sovereignty, about the immigration issue, issue our history, traditions, laws on immigration. And what's fascinating is this is what Ted Kennedy promised in 1965 but lied about, um, that it wouldn't spawn chain migration. Chuck Schumer you know, a lot of people know about the 65 immigration bill. A lot of people forget about the 1990 Immigration Act. Every time they picked up the ball on immigration, they promised to do one thing, and they actually went and did the opposite. So this was after the first two decades of the Kennedy regime, the new heart seller regime where they expanded immigration. And even then, as late as, as early as 1989, there was a bipartisan recognition that too much of the immigration was coming from the third world, not from Europe, meaning it was just too imbalanced. It was too much oriented towards those that were less educated, more impoverished, taking advantage of welfare. And it was all based on family ties with no degree of merit whatsoever. A handful of them might have overlapped. They could have been family members and also had some merit. But it was all based on the immigrants Deciding, And Chuck Schumer complained about it back then. I mean, again, you, you, you notice the rise of the alt-left, what Schumer used to say, what Harry Reid used to say, what Bill Clinton used to say on immigration. And when the bill was introduced in 1989, the Senate Judiciary Committee, 
Alan Simpson, the you know famous Simpson Mazzoli amnesty, the liberal Republican from Wyoming, co-sponsored the original bill with Ted Kennedy, and it actually instituted a merit-based system and made English language proficiency one of the major criterions for the point system. Obviously, what happened was, like every other piece of legislation on immigration, it got hijacked by the special interest groups, and it made it made things even worse. But the point is, this used to be bipartisan. This was common sense. Here we are, three decades later, 30 million immigrants later, that have come in solely, solely based on family ties. Now, I want to plug here, in addition to my book, I did something at Conservative Review this week that I did not write in my book, or at least not in this degree of detail. Um, your listeners could Google it, the important facts completely missing from the immigration debate. And what I do is I take the top 30 countries of origin, where they send us the most Im- immigrants, at least in, the, in 2016, and it accounts for 76% of our immigrants, and then I juxtapose the census data of the immigrants by country based on their poverty level, their use of means-tested welfare programs, and whether they speak English well. This is you know, self-identified based on interviews with the census. And it's shocking. In the top 30, th- there's almost not a single country that's Western in nature. They're all from the third world. Almost all of them have massively higher rates of um, welfare usage than the national average, than, than native-born Americans. Very few have lower than average. India and the Philippines are, are the only ones below, and then Canada and the U.K. are the other ones, um, but they're all the way at numbers 25 and 26. The top countries, you know, Mexico, Central America, they dominate our system. There's no reason that needs to be the case. And, yeah. and, and here's the beauty. A merit-based system has nothing to do with race. That That's the beauty of it. So let me give you an example. 60% of individuals from Mexico are on welfare. That, that's a tremendous amount, 124% more than the native average. It, that violates the first principle of immigration that should only benefit Americans, not hurt Americans. But notice, notice that 40% are not. So... You know, we could take people in from all parts of the world, but numbers and amounts and time and context matters. And that is the mature adult conversation on immigration that the political elites just don't want to have. Yeah, I mean, it, this whole immigration debate is so uh, ridiculous to me. When, when you have the left basically, uh, not basically, this is exactly what they're doing, they're putting... Uh, Americans in the back seat and basically calling any and everybody who opposes, you know, blanket amnesty, a country with no, with no borders as some kind of, of hater or racist, even calling it mean. And this is what the left doesn't understand. This is why Trump was elected by the American people because he took a very hard stance on immigration during his campaign. And we have seen the, uh, all of these different cases that we could point out from some of the ones that were Pointed out by Trump at the State of the Union last night from the MS-13 gang members and the victims of those uh, poor girls, the parents that were there, and uh, to um, what we see with with the the baby hospitals. I forget the term that they use, where different countries they have uh, 
bring people over here, pregnant women over here in mass to, to have babies so their babies are U.S. citizens and they become citizens. There's all these different areas where the left is just so crazy on immigration, and it goes against what America wants. And we're trying to, uh, you know, create jobs for our for the citizens of this country. When we're trying to uh, fund the, the military and fund veterans, there's so much, so many things that the money should go to first when there are people here suffering. But you have the left saying this is not enough. One million is not enough. Two million is not enough. Five million is not enough. Uh, you know, citizenship for everybody, as Kennedy said yesterday. Uh, with, as rich as America is, nobody should be left behind. I think was his, his uh, what he said. But it, it just it really boggles my mind that they can. Uh, who in America is supporting the the politicians who are advocating uh, basically for their demise and for the for you know to to prop the immigrants up? I just don't get it. But some of those stats you gave are alarming. You know, this is the true government shutdown. You know, we had a debate over the 17% uh, temporary lapse in funding for the non-essential bureaucrats. But that's not the shut. The real shutdown is that we have stolen sovereignty, is that we have a government that no longer is at the arm's length of the people, that represents the citizenry. And, and that that's the whole point. It's the disenfranchisement, the notion that America has become a dumping ground. It's become an asshole, you might want to yeah. say. Um, the, the issue is not other countries. The issue is turning our country into one. That's the real issue. Um, that you know, people could just come here unilaterally, assert jurisdiction against our will, be counted in the census, drop a baby, have you know, have that kid become a voting member of society against the consent that violates the very essence of the Declaration of Independence. And when you have people like Dick Durbin say that their singular focus is on amnesty. Yeah. So again, let, let's put aside sensitivities, what you believe, what you don't believe. Your job as a member of Congress, much like a father figure, head of a household, is to represent his family, is to represent the citizenry. You, you might want to do bad things or good things or neutral things to foreign nationals. That's fine. You could open up a ministry in Central America. Other, you know, organizations do that. There's a lot of things you can do. Or you could, you know, th th there's a lot of things you could do with your own bank account. Some of them might be prudent. Some of them might be f foolish. But legally and, and morally, from a social contract standpoint, you represent Americans. And this is what I don't understand. This is, this is where the alt-left has taken over the Democrat Party. There's one thing in the abstract, in the right context, yeah, maybe at some point we should allow some to stay. But the notion that you're going to hijack what is owed to Americans that we should get without any negotiations. You know, amnesty is not the imperative. The border security, the interior enforcement, the stopping the fleecing of America, the taking advantage of the, the UAC um, uh, loophole and the asylum loophole and the 625,000 a year overstay their visas and all the security problems we have, the criminal aliens, 950,000 mainly criminal aliens in this country have final orders of deportation and haven't been deported yet. And let me tell you, it's pretty darn hard to get deported, despite what the media tells you. Yeah. I have to pre be a pretty bad hombre. 950,000 of them remain in the country. What about, talking about that first, you know, another thing a lot of these same people are pushing, and even Trump kind of alluded to it because Jared, um, you know, lobbied for it to get in the speech is this criminal justice reform and and, yeah. and 
it's not exactly the way they sell it. Let's put it that way. And one of the things is they complain that there's too many people in, in federal prison. Now, to begin with, this is a joke because only 10% of the prison population in America is federal. It's really, you know, they talk about millions. It's only 180,000. But here's the deal. 30% of those are foreign nationals. Get them out of here. Why are we paying for the... The, the criminal elements of other countries it makes no sense this should be by this shouldn't even be partisan you know the the sanctuary city issue you know so every illegal alien we talk about of course knows english better than you they served in the military and killed five taliban with their bare hands <laughs> um you know they're all valedictorians they're all entrepreneurs except you know they're all on welfare but you know anyway yep. but, here, but here's the deal here's the deal if we're talking about sanctuary cities, by definition, the entire issue is over criminal aliens, of which Obama himself said that was his priority. Because what are sanctuary cities? They're jurisdictions that are kind of like neo-Confederates, and they engage in civil disobedience, and they say we will we will hide fugitives from the federal government who go in, who who are processed through our jails and not accede to. ICE's detainer request. Well, how the hell did you wind up in jail? At the very best, they're like DUIs. At the worst, they're really bad stuff. I mean, they're not, they're not the, to the extent, you know, a large degree of them are the way the left is portraying them. It's certainly not the one sanctuary cities are harboring. Yet, you know, 12,000 of them who have gotten released have gone on to commit other crimes just in the last fiscal year. There are so many urgent and emergency issues on sovereignty and security. And, and here's the thing. What's so disturbing is this is so avoidable. Look, we have a lot of crap in this country. It's a country of 325 million. We have a lot of bad citizens in this country. There's a limit to what we can do, you know, in an open and free country that's not run like North Korea. There's a limit to what we could do to, to stop crime. But when it comes to immigration, it's an elective policy. When it comes to immigration, the number of criminal aliens we should have is zero. And that's not utopian aspirations. I'll tell you why. Because on the front end, you could choose who the heck you want to bring in. And supply and demand, everyone wants to come here. So t take your pick. Bring in the best of the best. And here's the thing. Well, what if you make a mistake? That's why you have this kind of grace period of LPR, legal permanent resident status, when you have a green card where you're still an alien, you don't have citizenship, um, and we wait to see if you have good behavior. So we have seven, ten years or so where usually we get to see um, if you do something wrong, you're out of here. And, you know, because you can't deport an American citizen, here you could deport them. But instead, we have a major criminal alien crisis, and that's what I'm saying. You know, you know what I mean. Reasonable be people could disagree around the margins on immigration. This stuff we should get for free, uh, 435 to nothing in the House, 100 to zero in the Senate, without having to be held hostage to talk about any amnesty. That is the government shutdown we face. Yeah, and you know, it's um, you laid that out really well, and, and how when we continue to see the people who've been deported time and time and time again continue to get in you know, DUI death accidents and, and shooting uh, people like we saw with Kate Steinle and you hear this just every week at least once or twice a week these stories of guy was deported seven times guy was deported twelve times <clears throat> excuse me and this we know uh, this needs to be fixed but putting the illegal immigrants ahead of American citizens that line last night 
as you said, when Trump said Americans are dreamers too, really, uh, you could see it. So many in the audience were, uh, dumbfounded and so many in the media took offense to it, especially the ladies of the view. Excuse me. But it absolutely just outrageous that we even have to sit here and argue this and try to uh, defend, you know, the constitutional law and, and having secure borders. It is not an issue we should even have to uh, argue about. It should be something that is just done uh, because this is the way it should be. No other country in the world functions by having no borders or, or you know, granting blanket amnesty, especially when you're under the threat uh, from terrorism and, and so many other things. And I don't want to spend the whole uh, the whole hour, Daniel, talking about immigration. If we can, I'd like to move on to another area, just the, the infrastructure. The one thing that I had a problem with was the money Trump wants to lay out for infrastructure, and where will that come from? Are we going to be adding to the national debt, and is this uh, doable? Can we spend trillions of dollars on infrastructure when we, uh, on top of all the other areas that is, is going to cost a lot of money that he wants to spend in, what, what are we looking at here? And is this uh, something that he hopes to develop in, in uh, you know, the next year? Or is this something that he, this is a, a much uh, longer type plan where you would you know, appropriate the money properly instead of adding to the national debt? So just to back up here, I think the broader context that, you know, one of the disappointments, and again, this is not new because he really hasn't mentioned it in the other major speeches, is the debt. He didn't talk about the out-of-control spending, the debt, welfare reform, which I know he supports. That I was also disappointed. I, I thought you know, it would have been a great opportunity after talking about all these job opportunities to talk about work requirements. Look, the jobs are there. We're going to still have a safety net, but shouldn't everyone have to work? It would have really resonated. But, you know, again, I mean, and we could talk about this another time. Unfortunately, there's still competing interests in the administration, and, and not all of them share his campaign agenda. Um, so at, with that backdrop, I mean, Republicans have spent more money in their first year, about $70 billion more than Obama did in his last year. So it keeps going up and up. So the answer is, of course, we don't have money for this. The thing about transportation is this. Trump's instincts are right, and I think if you had a c- conservatives in Congress, they could steer him in the right direction. He, d- he even did hone in on some of the regulations and the red tape. Um, the, the, the problem is not money. The problem is the structure of the policy. You know, I have in uh, my community, we had a recent, uh, we don't really have a homeowners association, but just the neighbor kind of got to get together, talk about what, what we want to do in terms of speed bumps or traffic lights, certain areas. And, you know, it's interesting. It's a diverse area in terms of politics. You have pro- probably a 50-50 type of area. And it goes out the window, the politics, because, you know, everyone knows what you need. It's just very clear. Yeah, you know, this, tr- you know, yeah, this street needs this. You, you kind of know that. There is nothing more, nothing, nothing that is more local oriented than transportation. We have done this stupid thing since the completion of the interstate highway in 1993. It should have been devolved to the states. Instead, we collect the federal gas tax. The feds control so much of the money and the states have to grovel for it and they can't plan property. So we have the, the, 50, the, the transportation needs of all 50 states wrapped up into one six-year bill at a federal level with all the lobbyists, with the federal Davis-Bacon labor regs, the environmental regs, the 20% that gets siphoned off from mass transit, um, all sorts of things that 
make it a sinkhole. The more you throw into it, the less you get out. He's right that we need to do this better, but throwing more money at a federal level will only either raise taxes, blow open the debt, and we'll, we'll continue the same problem. We need to abolish the federal gas tax, period. Yeah. That, that, then states have a choice. You know, what is that, about 23 cents? States, or most states already well, you know, have. Daniel, we live in, in, here in Pennsylvania. Uh, it is either the highest or second highest to California. So we're paying, I think, 70 or 80 cents a gallon. But yes, either way, it does need to go. It's, it's a big, I mean, it's, but, it's it, unbelievable. But, but here's the deal. This will force good governance at a state level because right now you have the federal spigot. So then here, you guys are responsible. So yeah, we know, yeah, you know, that, that, um, you know, I'm just south of you in Maryland. Oh yeah, that stretch of I-83 going up from Baltimore to York. Yeah, could you use some work? And everyone would know that either makes sense or it's bullcrap or it's, you're just utilizing funding like they do now to gobble it up for incessant repaving. I mean, I don't know if you, I see it all the time when I travel, just, just dumb use of money because there's no planning. It makes no sense. Here, the states will sink or swim. Either the, the federal gas tax, I think about 23 cents that is devolved to the state should be enough. If you feel you need more, then here's your choice. On a state level, you could raise taxes. You could cut spending. You could do both. Or you could have a, you could have a local debate. Do you want to spend more on parochial state welfare programs? Or do you want to spend on more universal programs? So I'm a, I am a big believer that transportation is, unlike getting involved in healthcare and education, it is an important function of government. But at this stage in our development as a nation, you know, we're not developing a frontier, you know, because back in the 1840s, 1850s, it was part of the GOP platform. It was national in scope. Um, you know, we're not developing a country, so to speak. There's no reason why the states shouldn't take care of it. The same principles conservatives believe in education usually articulate apply doubly for transportation. And I think if that were given over to Trump, um, I, I think it would resonate, but I don't think enough people have presented that option. Uh, Daniel, that's a uh, very insightful, and I, I appreciate this because I didn't even plan on talking about the infrastructure, but you just listed a number of things that I wasn't even really thinking about. Just I was looking at the, I guess, the which more, is why he gets paid the big bucks. <laughs> yeah, I was looking at the kind of the broader strokes, but you uh, you said a number of things there that are, are right on the money. And, and I guess, Daniel, as we're, we're halfway through the interview, what was the biggest takeaway of yours from the State of the Union last night? Getting back to that, circling back around. You know, again, my biggest takeaway, like I said, wasn't anything policy oriented, or although I liked most of it, because um, I think, you know, there wasn't that much new ground plowed. It was the exposure, the denuding of the alt left, because for way too long, we had a false flag opposition in the GOP in that they served to obfuscate the radicalism of the Democrats because they agree with them. Rather than exposing them, they, they start using their terminology, they use their assumptions, their policies. They're always operating within their universe. So the American people, I don't think they've noticed just how radical Chuck Schumer has gotten since he first got elected to the Senate in the 90s. That's what he, he accomplished, and I think that's where he needs to go from here. Okay. Hmm. Interesting. Interesting. To, and, 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 pardon that pause, but it, it's, again, considerations that 
you're offering that I, that I think are, are extremely insightful and valuable. Okay. Now, Daniel, let's go into a few areas that were not mentioned in the State of the Union. Obviously, uh, one that CNN has been pointing out all day is Trump did not me- mention the Russia investigation. And we also have this issue Ooh, which is of good. the release of the FISA memo, which it is said will be out tomorrow morning. So if we can, let's uh, break this down a little bit. We saw Andrew McCabe leave the FBI on Monday as the head of the FBI, Ray, read the FISA memo Sunday evening. Also, apparently voiced concerns about the Inspector General's investigation into the handling of the Hillary Clinton email investigation or matter, depending on who you're listening to. And for those reasons or whatever was in the report, we know that McCabe was uh, told to he was going to be reassigned, but he didn't want that assignment, so he left, according to reports. So with that said, the FBI and the, and the DOJ are giving a last-ditch effort uh, trying to convince the White House not to release the memo. They said they're going to release it tomorrow. What do you expect to see in this memo, and is it going to be as groundbreaking as everybody believes it will be? Look, I can't speak to that. All I could say is if it's not, it would be a major unforced error by many House conservatives. So, you know, I would imagine right. they're wrong. I mean, if you're going to go out there and say, let me tell you something, this is really an eye-opener. I mean, you know, all I know is from what I've heard, you know, they said that there's nothing that jeopardizes national security, so there's no reason it shouldn't be released. And more than any one piece of information, it's the clarity, the clarity that I think it's going to demonstrate that this was a concerted effort to politicize the FBI in its most literal sense, to literally use all means to justify the ends of both protecting Hillary and and, and attacking Trump and a, and a major abuse of power. I mean, and this is this is a major problem. And and what bothers me is forget about Trump and Russia, forget about Hillary and emails, forget about the personalities here. This ties into the first part of our conversation about immigration. What we're seeing about progressives in government is that the ends justify the means. There's lawlessness. I believe in illegal alien supremacism, so I just don't care. The laws don't matter. I'm going to bring illegals to the State of the Union and and thumb my nose at the law. Um, This is the right thing to do. Hillary is too big to fail. It doesn't matter. We are going to violate all norms of prosecution grant immunity to whoever we need to, even though we're not, we have, we, we know we have no intention of prosecuting anyone. I mean, I think that's what it's going to shed light on really probably more the Hillary scandal than the Trump scandal. But whoever it is, it's a problem that we have parts of government that just will not abide by the rule of law. And as you know, I talk about this with the federal courts every day that, um, you know, you have judges that are literally talking about politics instead of law from the bench um, and that that is a very big problem you know I, I, I get your emails your um, would you call a newsletter I, I, I guess your your emails of your new art what's that my, my, my spam mail no, no I, I'll tell you something I read every one because you, you're right on the money with everything are, are, are we seeing um, okay uh, with respect to that, has Donald Trump been effective in changing the uh, uh, the uh, federal court, court appointments? Uh, because that's never talked about. Is he making a difference there? Um, 
it's like saying, are you making a difference in Afghanistan? <laughs> <laughs> okay. What, what I mean by that is, it's no, it's it's not a rip on him. I mean, he's making the best appointments he can. The bottom line is, you might not hear this from elsewhere, and I'm not trying to, I'm not trying to talk it down. I'm trying to get to the truth of how severe the judicial problem is, and we're not going to solve it by merely, um, just quote unquote appointing better judges. We've been saying that for 50 years. Um, most of the vacancies are good judges retiring on on the few circuits that are already good, particularly the fifth and the eighth. The problem that we're seeing now is with the lawlessness of the judicial profession and the misconception of the power and role of the courts, the left and the ACLU, all they need to do is go to shop around on any national issue to any number of the unlimited random liberal district judges within the circuits that they're going to win the appeals on, and they got you. They put a nationwide injunction immediately on our sovereignty, on the most basic statutes, and sometimes the Supreme Court grants relief. Often they're slow to do it. Often they don't. And you know what I mean? They're, they're not going to go to the Fifth Circuit in Texas. They're not going to go to the Eighth Circuit, you know, in, in, in the flyover country, you know, places like Missouri and Iowa where we're, we're, we dominate on those circuits. I'll tell you where they go. They go to the Ninth, the Fourth, and the D.C. Court of Appeals. And even if Trump serves for two terms, he will just demographically, you could just, you know, go seat by seat there. Those courts are gone for two generations. Um, and, and that's. Good point. that's problem yeah. and also i'm just gonna i mean there's a lot of different factors but i'll just leave you with one other thought the capacity of a good judge to do good is nowhere near the capacity of a bad judge to do bad whoa <laughs> there's a sum but if i ever heard one all right oh yeah you're you okay that makes <laughs> <Sorry>. perfect sense <laughs> wow very sobering thought and okay all right. And again, and, and again, look, I, you know, I know I said there's a lot of negativity there from Trump's end. From everything I can see, the appointments he did make are very good. Um, you know, with Bush, it was kind of hit or miss. Certainly, with previous Republican presidents, it was really bad. Um, so they've gotten a lot better. Um, he's he has good people around him on this issue in particular. Um, but I think they need to take it to the next level and push back against lawless dis- decisions push Congress to start stripping jurisdiction of the courts, which they have that power um, to start dividing the Ninth Circuit, making more structural reforms, because without that, I just don't see how we're going to stop this judicial lawlessness. All right. Very well said. Now, you mentioned Afghanistan. You've got a recent uh, a recent uh, uh, column out, Pentagon blocking watchdog from reporting truth about Afghanistan. You want to get into that? Because, I, I mean, you laid some things out there pretty well. You know, I, I've taken a lot of flack for this from a lot of the neoconservatives. Um, you know, there's something like, there's something about Afghanistan that's that's almost like the insurance cartel in America with, you know, on domestic policy. It's just the untouchable. And let me tell you something. You know, I was very gung-ho last decade. I started getting very bad feelings about it years ago, but I just... I don't know, like, what do you do? You pull out. We've already, you know, expended so much. You know, you don't want to, you know, lose your gains. And, I mean, we've, we're, this is going on for 16 years. You now have 
children of the soldiers who fought initially fighting there. Um, and this is one of the biggest disappointments I have with Trump because his intuition is good. I mean, if you remember in his speech, he said he's doing it against his better judgment. And his better judgment was, was basically this place is a bunch of mud hunt, mud hut munchkins. Um, they've been fighting for 1200 years. The Taliban are bad, but so are the Afghan government. They're all Sharia. They're all a bunch of pedophiles, which was the, the previous inspector general report that there's a bunch of, they have a, a name for it. The pedophilia custom they have among the Afghan forces that we're spending, um, you know, billions of dollars a year propping up. And, you know, for what? What province are we holding on behalf of whom? In what way that's sustainable and in our national interest? Look, there's a, there's a dirty little secret about the Taliban. 9-11 wasn't hatched in the Hindu Kush. It was hatched in Iran and Saudi Arabia. Saudi Arabia has now had almost a quasi-regime change, so they've gotten a lot better. Iran is still horrible. Um, that's what it was. Now, Afghanistan, just because it was a lawless desert, you know, it, it, it harbored al-Qaeda, but the Taliban are an al-Qaeda. It doesn't mean they're not evil. But they, they have no network outside of Afghanistan. They don't affect us. They can't hurt us. They, they, there's nothing they can do at this point. There's nothing redressable there. And this is what the inspector general, who's been very above politics throughout all, three administrations, putting out good material. And they were saying that the Pentagon is now asking them not to report on how much territory the Taliban has taken over despite our increased presence. Because there's nothing you could do there. The Taliban are a reflection of the people there. That's just the reality. It's nothing we need to do. And, and, and here's some food for, for, for thought. Why do we go overseas? Supposedly, you know, foreign policy is first and foremost about homeland security. Right? It's about protecting the homeland. Well, we don't want terrorists to come here. Well, how do terrorists come here? They fly in a magic carpet. Um, you can only affect us, you can only threaten us if you have a Navy, an Air Force, or ICBMs. Okay, that, that's the only way you could affect us. Hence, North Korea and Iran are very big problems. Afghanistan is, is, is a nothing. There's nothing there. There's one way they affect us. Through immigration. That was the enduring lesson of 9-11. We let people in. So here's what we do. We get involved in 21-way Islamic civil wars with 21 Islamic tribe, tribes in Afghanistan, and then we feel guilty about it, and we bring in thousands upon thousands of migrants from there. I mean, it's, it's the most backward strategy. Donald Trump, one of, the, one, of, one of the best things he's ever said, ranking up there with, you know, Americans are dreamers too, is when he said during the campaign, our generals have been reduced to rubble. And, and that was a real ballsy statement because nobody, everyone feels like, oh, you're like, you're not being patriotic, patriotic, you're attacking the military. But the reality is, it's not just the, the panty waist guys in the Pentagon. This crop of generals, I'm gonna say it straight out. There's a reason why we have transgenderism in the military, why you have women, female Navy SEALs they're talking about now, the social engineering, the sensitivity training, the putting our soldiers into a meat grinder. It's not just because of the civilian leadership. It's that it's become a thing in the military that in order to get beyond colonel, you have to be a cultural Marxist. Um, and Trump recognized that. 
What did he do? He took these guys, Nicholson, Votel, Mattis, and he elevated them, McMaster, all the pukes at CENTCOM, he elevated them to, to civilian positions, and they're now, I mean, Mattis and Votel were the guys in charge of the 2009 to 2013 surge that the media never reported on in Afghanistan, where we had 150,000 coalition troops, we lost 1,500 of our guys, thousands wounded, and we got nothing for it. What are you going to accomplish with an extra 10,000 troops there that you didn't accomplish then? It was the same guys, and, but nobody wants to criticize them. And and, and uh, Trump's instincts are really good on this, but he just doesn't have enough backing to stand up to in his administration. Man, that's some hard reality there. Yeah, and he caught a lot of uh, criticism for the people that he has uh, put in power, not only the ones you mentioned, but many other, uh, you know, Goldman Sachs bankers and uh, what many call swamp monsters, and they are wondering what it is that he is thinking when doing these things. We got to ask your opinion, Daniel. What do you? What grade would you give uh, Jeff Sessions if we are accurate in our assertions that uh, from this FISA memo and and what's going to come out? showing that they used the unsubstantiated dossier to gain FISA warrants to surveil Trump and the Trump administration before, during, and after the uh, election. This is one of the times where we have, uh, it's all coming out in the open, and Jeff Sessions is in a perfect position to do this in a very public way and clean house, yet we haven't heard anything from him. What do you, what kind of, what's going on with Jeff Sessions? And do you think uh, he's got more going on than it appears? Well, you know, part of the problem is that, you know, you have Rod Rosenstein, a leftist, who's the number two guy, and number three, number four. I mean, down the line, um, not much has been cleaned out. Um, I don't know how to say this. I really like Jeff Sessions. I think on the issues like immigration, he's really been, you know, what he was expected to do. When it comes to this, he's really in over his head. Um, part of the problem is he's a real gentleman. He's a real traditionalist. He really is a nice guy. And I think he genuinely felt the need to recuse himself. I, he just didn't know what he was getting himself into. And I think now he's kind of a little bit in over his head over that. And, and I just think he hasn't been aggressive enough in draining the swamp there and in, in reining in this autonomous fourth branch of government. I mean, this is what I resent. We don't use the checks and balances that we're supposed to have. And then we create new ones that, that don't exist. Uh, you know, I, I saw the media flipping out that Trump allegedly asked Rod Rosenstein if he's on his team. Like, it's some sort of like... It was a know, break, it, Jake Tapper breaking <laughs> news story where he pr- promoted it like Rachel Maddow did the uh, Donald Trump tax papers. And I'm thinking it's like, okay, do you think Barack Obama would have Ted Cruz in his Justice Department? I mean... This is a political appointee. It's the number two position in the Justice Department. He, you know, he never heard of Rosenstein. I never heard of him. No one ever heard of him before. It's like, hey, are, are you, you know, are you from Obama? Are you from me? I mean, like, because if you're not, I want you out of there. I mean, it's like, that, that's like anything else. I mean, I mean, even if you want to say the FBI should be independent, which I don't agree with, um, you know, certainly not legally or constitutionally, but you want to say politically, but, but the broader Justice Department, I mean, it's like saying Sessions, you know, for attorney general, you should pick a Democrat. Um, it's insane. Dem- Democrats never have this. This is a very dangerous precedent we're creating with the out-of-control role of the courts, this fourth branch of government. But but anyway, yeah, I, I do think um, 
he hasn't been aggressive enough, and I think now would be a good time with the revelations about this for him to reassert himself um, over Mueller, over Rosenstein, um, and and find ways to to wrap this up. Very well said. I want a I want a pit bull in there. I don't want a nice guy in there. I want a pit bull in there, especially with um, you know we're, we're fighting for our lives against the permanent state, the bureaucracy that uh, has been created for so many years. We're talking with Daniel Horowitz. Daniel Horowitz, his website conservativereview.com. Hey, a must read. Of course, a stolen uh, sovereignty. A must read, folks. Uh, if you if you haven't read it. Get a hold of it right now. In fact, it's more relevant today than when when it was written. Uh, what just uh, just a mere year and a half ago, eighteen months ago, two two years ago, maybe. But it's so prescient for today's events. Stolen sovereignty. We'll have a link in the uh, program description box. Um, fantastic. And I have to apologize too for kind of shotgunning all these questions at you, seemingly disparate. But it, it all comes down to just a, really a, a handful of issues. From immigration, as you, as you pointed out, and 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 just other disparate but intricately related uh, issues. So, um, in the time we've got left, we we only have about eight minutes left of uh, uh, with you. Just whatever you're passionate about, go ahead and just just uh, the floor is yours. Well, yeah, we definitely need to do this more often. Uh, there's just too much too much to talk about. I mean. You know, one of the things, to, to me, if you look ahead, Trump has a tremendous opportunity. The convergence of a lot of the revelations on the Russia scandal being bogus, hopefully what we see in the memo, uh, the improving economy, the surging stock market, the massive turnaround in public opinion um, with the tax cuts literally proving one entire side of an economic debate correct in spectacular fashion. Um, Democrats just unhinged and disorganized, the polling starting to change. The biggest failure from his first year is the ability to convert his intuition into the right definitive policies, make the right plays, the right calls, the right legislative strategies, and um, and just stare down the other side. Threaten vetoes. I, you know, rather than Democrats saying, "I'm going to shut down the government if uh, you know we don't have amnesty." No, no, I will def, I will veto a budget bill that doesn't defund Planned Parenthood, defund sanctuary cities. I put out a budget blueprint to cut non-defense discretionary spending by several hundred billion dollars. If not, at least you know a certain portion of that is in the budget. I will veto. But he doesn't do that, and instead, it's just like that. That's how the wall is not funded. You know, even. A year into it. Um, my two biggest disappointments last night that I called glaring omissions in my article, and again, this comes from a lot of the staff that, you know, purposely omitted it, is that he didn't call to make the tax cuts permanent. That should be the very next thing. I mean, that will embarrass the Democrats, put them in a very tough position, and then call for repeal of Obamacare. One of the enduring lessons of the tax cuts is this. We live in Western society nowadays when things are pretty good for most people, despite all the complaints. You know, because of technological advances, we all live fat and happy lives. Let's face it. And 
Therefore, the biggest thing people are scared about is instability. So notice the political class will always use that word. We can't destabilize. That's their way of blocking out entrepreneurial ideas and innovative policy thinking. And anytime you propose a change, if you kind of vacillate, you know, the worst thing to do in um, political warfare, just like real warfare, is to be neither advancing nor behind fortified defensive lines. You're starting to attack, but you kind of stop and bog down, and you're just out there and open. You either got to do nothing, or you shock and awe, pass it, message it, and stick with it. And the tax bill was polling as low as 17%, and now it's surging. They're focusing too much on superficial polling. They need to just do it. Don't talk about it. Repeal Obamacare and the premiums will come down. Yes, you're going to have the dependency crowd that goes crazy. They're not going to vote for you anyway. You, you, you know, we're, we have a polarized country. You need to get 51%. He needs to make that effort. Um, he needs to do that. He needs to push welfare reform. He needs to step away from his amnesty offer now that Democrats rejected it and push only enforcement now and only fixing legal immigration for America. He needs to push judicial reform bills. He needs to give a speech every Thursday from the Oval Office. Notice every one of these speeches are beautiful. Everyone loves them, even his detractors. You know, if he were to do this for rather than tweeting, once a week, review the policies of the week. Say, here's what went on, here's what I like, here's where we could improve, here's what I'm calling on Congress to do. I am telling you he will be a different person, he'll be a different presidency. He's capable of doing it, he's shown that. Um, you put together the policies that people already like with a much more popular figure that the media will not be able to taint. You know, because you could taint a 140-character tweet. It's harder mm-hmm. to taint that, as we saw last night. And finally, I know I'm throwing in a lot of things here, he needs to call for some sort of mod- modification to the filibuster. I'm not saying you need to get rid of all of it, but either make it a talking filibuster, not this BS de facto 60-vote threshold. You have to actually hold the floor or limit it on budget bills, limit the number so maybe you could block five bills but not all ten initiatives because otherwise he will get nothing done. He's got to take this to the next level because he cannot be late in the year with full control and nothing to show for it. It's a good good point. So, sort of act like um, it's. I mean, sort sort of act like he's. This is his last term mentally. I mean, that, that's the impression I'm getting. In other words, just do it, do it now. To hell with the consequences or the the uh, perception by the detractors. And, and just go for it is, is what I'm hearing. Is that right? No, no, exactly, exactly. Ironically, if you're going to play it safe in order to win an election, you're going to lose the election. The only way they're actually going to preserve their majorities, and, and the tax bill should show them that. They did nothing. I mean, this was truly a historic moment. I mean, when Democrats, I listed about a dozen things in one article that Democrats did when they controlled the trifecta, if you remember, in 2009. Um, yeah. Believe me, did a lot. And Republicans literally did nothing until the tax bill, and there's a lot to learn from that. So you know, it's very disappointing that that there was no mention of repeal of Obamacare. He needs to go back to that. Um, I mean, and just stare them down. You know, like, he goes up to the line, but then part of the problem is he doesn't have a lot of good staff. 
So he's like, he criticizes Iran and the Iran deal, demand that they slap sanctions back on them. Again, this is another 80-20 issue. It divides Democrats. It puts Schumer and, and his constituency in, in a rough bind there um, with the whole Israel issue. There's a lot of good things he could do with that to take his messaging and intuition and put it into policy outcomes. Very well said. Wow. Well, well, Daniel, yeah, we're going to have to do this more often because there was just a lot of information there, and uh, there's uh, so many more topics we can yeah. get into. And, and we apologize for, for the, the the shotgun approach to the questions, but all of them are important. We want to get everything in uh, before our time ran out. Conservativeview dot com, and uh, do I have this right? At RM Conservative yeah. on Twitter. RM is in red meat. There you go. All right. Daniel Horowitz, our guest, his book, Stolen Sovereignty. And you can go to conservativereview.com or go to Amazon. Daniel, thank you so much for joining us tonight. It was a, a very fun and, and information-filled interview, and we appreciate your time. Really enjoyed it. Let's make this a regular feature. Let's do it. Because, of the, because of this hour went fast. John that, shaking his head yes. So John <laughs> will be go. in touch with you. Daniel. Thank you, my friend. All right, God bless. All right, brother. Folks, that was Daniel Horowitz, and a fantastic uh, fountain of knowledge and, and the, the the passion. This is what we need. A unique perspective, you know, yeah, it's not very much. Talking points you hear on other radio shows or on the mainstream media. It's a unique perspective, and you got to love that. And I'm telling you, I open every one of the emails I get from. I open, I read that, I read his columns because it's you know he writes what I'm thinking, and half the time I'm thinking, I wish I would have written that, mm-hmm. or I wish I would have said that. So, Daniel Horowitz, as we approach the top of the hour break, just want to remind everyone, uh, we are not not well, obviously. <laughs> We're not live on we're not, YouTube. We're not live on YouTube. So who am I speaking to? Uh, we are live, of course, on Global Star Satellite Radio, as well as Blog Talk Radio, the fine folks there. And thanks for uh, the people uh, yeah. with patience staying with us, finding yeah. us. And we will uh, either resolve this issue one way or the other, and the shows will still be up on YouTube, and we will continue to After stream live on Glo- Global Star and Blog Talk. And we're working out a live video option, but we're not sure... Uh, how we're going to do that yet, we might wait for the decision from YouTube to come down. But thanks for your emails. Well, we just have to figure out if we have enough uh, equity left to mortgage. Yeah. Well, so. we will get on that. There's still a few days left this week. Don't forget, Sunday evening, we're still going to do our Patreon broadcast. Uh, that's right. So you can sign up to donate uh, through Patreon. They and can't take that away from us. Sunday, I'm sorry, each first Sunday of the month, we get together with you, the listeners, uh, who are the Patreon members, and we do a monthly broadcast. So we're looking forward to that. When we come back, Pastor David Langford. So don't go anywhere. Boy, we need that. This edition of the Hagman Report. Uh, again, we are dark in terms of live streaming on YouTube. Just, just so everyone knows, once again, uh, we are uh, prohibited at the moment, uh, and for the near term, to stream live on YouTube. Uh, that, of course, is our punishment for daring, daring to simulcast the State of the Union address yesterday. Now. Uh, 
say what you will. All right, I'm, I'm, it's it's my view that uh, we could have had Obama uh, on the View in uh, simulcast that and been fine. But uh, the censorship, the uh, the pushback it is becoming real now. That, it, very simply, just real simple. Go to either Global Star Radio Network or Blog Talk Radio. Or very simply, go to HagmanReport.com. Click on the the tab that says Listen or, or Radio Show. I'm sorry, the tab that says Radio Show. And there you'll have all of the listening options. And we are trying to put together a video feed uh, for tomorrow. Now, if it doesn't happen tomorrow, it'll happen the next day. But the bottom line is that equates to a lot of money. Frankly, it's a lot of money to to push a lot of video out to the people who want to see the video. So we're working that out right now. So the bottom line, go to HagmanReport.com, click on the tab that says Radio Show. There you'll find your viewing and listening options. Now, the uh, we are able to upload to, to YouTube after the live show. So in other words, um, however, the, 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 there's no video with respect to the uploading of the, of the audio show. So it, it, just hang with us. Just bear with us. That's all we ask. Just bear with us. We will get it worked out. Every problem presents a great opportunity, and that's the way we look at it. And we have to expect this because there's a war on conservatives. There's a war on Christians. There's a war on Christian conservatives. And by the way, shame on you, Christian conservatives, who uh, basically are, are, are taking this, you know, saying, hey, well, you know what? Um, it is what it is. You got to get in the fight. You got you to, you got to, it's, it's far past time to, to select the team you're on, in my view. That's my message to you. I'm not going to keep Pastor David Langford waiting. BeVoiceOfEvangelism.com. Glad he's with us tonight. We need a, a hefty dose of his uh, spiritual reasoning, his uh, spiritual insight and, and encouragement and everything else. Pastor David Langford, welcome to the program. Great to be with you tonight, Doug. Uh, hey, I hate to hear that you're having the aberrations and the adversity that comes along with being a Christian. <laughs> well, one might say, well, you just didn't play by the rules. Well, you know, perhaps that might be the case, but the bottom line is I, th- I think that the rules sele- selectively enforced today are a little bit different between Christians or for Christians and conservatives and uh, those people who are progressives. So there you go. But thanks for coming on. Well, it's a joy to be with you tonight. Uh, that's kind of what I had on my heart to talk about tonight as Christians. Um the life of a Christian is a life of suffering. Now, I know we don't like to hear that. That's not the Joy Osteen message. It's a life of blessing. But when I read the scriptures from the Old Testament to the end of the New Testament, Genesis to Revelation, all of the patriarchs of faith were forever in a place of trouble, turmoil, vexation, adversity, the days of joy are few and they're short-lived. Why? It is because the child of God possesses glorified eternal life in their spirit. Now, that we haven't received that yet in our body until we die, uh, because this body is still corrupt. But we carry our faith into eternity if we are believers. If we're not believers, 
we have nothing to carry us into eternity, therefore we're lost. There's, there's no direction at that point in time in life. And, you know, Job chapter 14, verse 1 says, Man that is born of woman is of few days and full of trouble. He cometh forth like a flower and is cut down. He fleeth also as a shadow and continueth not. Uh, you look at roses, flowers, people go out there and they cut them, put them in a vase, a vase, if you're very uh, proper, you say vase. But they soon die. They soon wither, they, they soon go away. And he also equated it to a, a shadow. And we've all been in the yard and seen an airplane or something like that pass over our heads, and you see the fleeting of the shadow on the ground. On the ground, it's there, and then suddenly it's, it's gone. And so Job, he says, man that is born of woman, number one, he's a few days, and he's full of trouble. Uh, he cometh forth like a flower, he's cut down, he fleeth also as a shadow, and continueth not. But the world looks on the Christian as a fool, as an imbecile, uh, stupid, ignorant, but what they don't understand, we may appear to be like that on, on this side of eternity, but that is such a short and parenthetical time, because what they may look at us as being for a short period, we're going to be wise for all eternity, because we chose the right Lord. We chose the right Savior. We chose the right Master. Uh, Jesus described uh, himself and the world, he said in, in Matthew six twenty four, no man can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, else he will hold to the one and despise the other. So th there's there's no middle ground, and this is where most Christians live. Uh, I think I said on your program weeks ago, maybe months ago now, that if the apostle Peter had had a three fifty seven in his hand, instead of pulling his sword and cutting off Malchus' ear when they came to arrest Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane, he would just shot him. You know, somebody would say, well, what kind of preacher is that? that that's, that's reality. His, his anger was, was, was poised to strike, and he did, and he struck with what he had. But I like what you said at the beginning. We have far too many Christians sitting on the sideline. Uh, and, 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 and we've been calling people to a time of fasting up until this coming Sunday, February the 4th. Uh, we started on Feb uh, January the 14th. And so I believe in prayer. I believe in fasting. I believe that the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but they're mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. But I've always encouraged my church when I was pastoring, I would get all the congressmen, senators, numbers, addresses, and I would, sometimes I would actually write a form letter. They wouldn't even have to write the letter. I'd write the form letter, type it out, put it on the uh, remembrance table in front of the, the uh, pulpit, and say, after service, come by, get your letter, sign your name on it, and mail it uh, to, to Washington to voice my opinion. Now, Donald Trump, without a doubt, uh, is so polarizing that it would beg description. Uh, Obama was polarizing, but in a very subtle way. You know, the people like him and Hillary are, are the greatest of hypocrites. Uh, we, 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 every, every time we turn around, we see another circumstance, another situation, 
where they have said something or done something, but then they operate in another total different way. Uh, they feign one thing, they, they say one thing, uh, but then uh, in the time of, of trouble, the time of distress or whatever, you know, it, it, well, I, I, that's not what I meant, or I, I didn't mean to do that, or I, that was not a good decision at the time. It, it's always a, a, a lame excuse uh, to, you know, to, to justify what they have done. And, and so Jesus was constantly dealing with the hypocrisy. Uh, Matthew 16:3, he said, "Oh, ye hypocrites, ye can discern the face of the sky, but you cannot discern the signs of the time." And the fact that Donald Trump is polarizing, I like uh, most people tried to watch the State of the Union address last night, and he invoked righteousness. He invoked God. Uh, he, he's trying uh, in his best, in his own feeble, frail attempt to follow the leadership of, of righteousness slash godliness. He, he's doing the best he can. And I said before he was ever elected, if he is elected, and uh, I, I didn't know whether he would be elected, I felt like he would be, I was fasting and praying, but you know, I didn't get a word from God, but my point is, I said if he was elected, we will not believe the, the rebellion and the opposition because now, because people have become so lawless, and we've, we've quoted this scripture, you've heard it quoted, you've heard people allude to it, Matthew twenty four twelve, and because iniquity shall abound, the love of many shall wax cold. And of course, that word iniquity means lawlessness. So, so let's just digress in the last nine years and look at the enormous amount of lawlessness that has been uh, used against this nation and people who are trying to do the right thing, going from the FBI, the Department of Justice, the IRS. We see this assault. And I knew in my spirit that if Donald Trump became the president of the United States, they would not relinquish this power with grace. Uh, I, I, I know that God is trying to help America I know that God is trying to help Donald Trump, but that does not negate the plot of Satan. No matter what God does, Satan is behind the scenes forever plotting against the plan of God. And he knows, Satan can see, Satan can recognize by what God does in the spiritual realm. Everything that takes place in the natural has already been codified, it's been solidified in the spirit. When God told Abraham and Sarah, at this time next year, I'm going to restore unto you the time of life, and you're going to have a child. God spoke that into existence before it ever happened. It was already predetermined uh, in God's mind. But Abraham, Sarah, they did not know that. They, they didn't know the significance of God's plan. So when God begins to allow his plan which first begins in the spirit, Satan is able to recognize that by the word of God. He can, quote-unquote, see the writing on the wall. And so he, it, it, it gives him a, a subtle opportunity to then to begin to go and to work in opposition against what God is about to do. And so every time God 
begins to move and God begins to do something, Satan immediately rises up and tries to counter the very thing that God was going to do. When Herod had heard that Jesus had been born, what did he do? He told the wise men, he said, you you go find him, you worship him, and after you find him, you come back, you tell me where he is, so I can go and I can worship him. But see, that was Satan's plan to try to kill Jesus Christ before Jesus Christ could have ever been born. And so the wise men did not come back to Herod. So what does he do? He sends soldiers down there, and it was either two or three years of age, I forget the exact age now. From that age downward, he killed all, all the male-born. He killed all of them. And there was, there was weeping, un, untold weeping. And of course, Jeremiah gave us that prophecy. Uh, there, was, there was weeping that was unfathomable. And it would be if, if some, some uh, group of soldiers came into a particular city and they begin to kill every male child uh, two years and younger. Uh, the, the, the sorrow, the pain uh, would, would be un, un, unfathomable. We couldn't imagine it. So when God begins to do something and Satan sees the hand of God, he sees the, 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 the wheels of God, he sees these, these things happening, he then goes and he tries to head that off with, with, with another devastating plot something that's absolutely unbelievable. But here's, here's the problem. Though all those little boys were slain, were murdered, Satan had no success. He had absolutely no success whatsoever. He had the heads up because of the prophecies of God. He knew where Jesus would be born. He knew all of these things from the Old Testament. He understood these things. He understands things today that we don't, we don't even grasp yet. We, we can't get our, our, our mind around those things. But he has the power. He has the power to see into what God is doing far beyond what we can see because we're just mere mortals unless the Spirit of God reveals things to us. And it has to be a spiritual revelation. It has to be a spiritual revelation. Uh, that's the only way you and I can get it. Uh, God has to come to us, whether in a dream, whether in a vision, or like Gabriel, the archangel. Gabriel is known as a, 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 a messenger angel to come give us a message. Uh, so he, he sees these things. And so he understands, and he, he begins to work. So this opposition uh, in America is only going to grow exponentially, and Satan can see the time he can see the Word of God as the Word of God is being fulfilled. And, it, and it, as I said, it gives him a type of a heads up, not, not a very long time frame, but he can see. God can give a prophecy like he did in Genesis 3.15. I'll put enmity between thee and the woman, between thy seed and her seed. It shall bruise thy head, and thou shalt bruise his heel. Okay. Lucifer, Nahash, he, he heard that prophecy. He heard that utterance. He was in the garden. He heard God speak that to, to, to Eve. But what was the time frame? 500 years? Actually, Eve, when she had Cain, she thought that would be the, 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 the promised seed. But it took 4,000 years for that prophecy to come to fruition. 
And this is why time and understanding Bible prophecy is so significant. So he gives, Elohim gives the prophecy in the Garden of Eden. 4,000 years passes. Galatians 4, 4, but when the fullness of time was come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem them that were under the law, that we might receive the adoption of sons. So Jesus was born, and Satan may have been saying, wow, this is, you know, 4,000 years, but what does he do? He starts his little plot. And and the Bible is clear there in the, the second chapter of Matthew. When Herod saw that he was mocked, the Bible said he was exceedingly, he was exceedingly wroth. Where did that anger come from? That anger came from Satan. And so Satan always works and appeals to our flesh. Always remember that. Satan has nothing that will appeal to your spirit. Everything that Satan appeals to or tries to hurt, harm, or injure is always your flesh. He took everything that Job had. It was all fleshly. His sons, his daughters, his camels, his uh, oxen, his she-asses. He, he was taking all the things in the natural, because that's, that's the realm, the sphere that Satan works in. Now, it is spiritual, but we see it manifest in the flesh, whether we get physically afflicted or, or, or someone close to us loses their life or whatever. He's always trying to touch us through our flesh. Every temptation to Jesus was about his flesh, lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. So when he, when, he, when, he, when he saw that he had been mocked by the wise men, he has this seething anger, which is the impetus of Satan. He was, he was, he was a pawn in Satan's hand. Now, if he, if he didn't get right with God, we all know that Herod had to be lost. You can't issue that kind of a, a, a slaughter and carnage and, and, and be right with God and inherit eternal life. So he slew all these children and, and, and that were in Bethlehem. And as I said, two years of age and under. And of course he prefaced it on the time which he had inquired of the wise men about the birth of this, this child, Jesus Christ. And so uh, the Bible said there was lamenting, there was weeping, and there was great mourning. And and it was and the, 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 the mourning was so great, the weeping, the brokenness, it was impossible uh, for them to be comforted. Well, we're at another crossroads, per se. If you, if you, if you think about some of the things uh, that, that Donald Trump is addressing, you know, they're talking about using these really minuscule tactical nuclear weapons with North Korea and just try to take out the head. Well, you know, the fear, the, 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 the anxiety there is, are we going to go into a world war? Uh, he says he's going to move by the fall of 2019. He's going to move the embassy from Tel Aviv to Jerusalem. Now, the last several weeks since that announcement, I've gone back and I've begun to look at the book of Ezra to look at the book of Nehemiah and just look at some of the things that Cyrus, and I know I keep going back to Cyrus, but Cyrus was so prophetic, his his birth, his kingship, his lordship, relative to the, and, and here's the funny thing, it was the Medo-Persian Empire, Iran. That, that's who that was, King Cyrus. Yet, it was prophesied 
he would do these things. And I was thinking about the the, uh, the calling, the anointing on Cyrus was to allow the, the, the Israelis that had been exiled to return home to Jerusalem. Of course, the foundation, the wall of Jerusalem was destroyed. That's why Nehemiah rebuilt the wall. The city was decimated. Ezra's objective was to do the census, and, and that's why the book of Ezra is laid out like it is. It, it'll tell you every every tribe, or I should say every person, and their children, and somehow how they were associated. And you got this great uh, census uh, in the book of Ezra. Why is that so significant? Because God is establishing something, but he's using a Gentile to establish it. How That it's tied in with Israel's existence. Now, I know I'm going to make a lot of people mad, and frankly, it doesn't bother me the least bit, because it the Bible says the people in the last days are going to be anti-Semitic, and they're going to hate the Jews. Now, I hear these little crass and, 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 and arrogant statements about the Third Temple, uh, you know, the Zionist. All, all, all the word Zionist, Zionism means is a people who wants a piece of land to dwell in. So uh, Americanism is no different than Zionism. So it's, 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 the same, it's, it's the same thing, but they say Zion because guess where Jerusalem is? That's oftentimes called Zion. So it just shows you the naivety and the shallowness of people who think they know, but they don't know what they think they know. But we're told in the book of Daniel, Jesus told us in the 24th chapter of Matthew, Paul told us in the, in the second chapter of Second Thessalonians, and John tells us in Revelation chapter 11, there's going to be a third temple. And there are those who are lambasting everybody that even mentions that. If you say that today, you, you're, from some perspective, you're an idiot, you're a buffoon, you're deceived, you're stupid. Well, those who take that opinion are calling God stupid. Because I didn't write the Bible. Yet God wrote the Bible and put those things in the Bible. Jesus said in Matthew twenty four fifteen, When you therefore shall see the abomination of desolation spoken of by Daniel the prophet, and here's what it says in most of your Bibles, and it's also in parentheses, let him that hath understanding understand. So it's something that must be spiritually understood. So that tells me these people have no true spiritual understanding. Oh, they think they do, but they don't. If they understood that, they would understand, wait a minute, what, what a great prophet Daniel was. He alluded to it in Daniel chapter 9. Jesus, the Lord's Christ, the Son of the living God, he spoke of it in Matthew 24. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 4. Who opposeth and exalteth himself above all that is called God, or that is worshipped, so that he as God sitteth in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. And verse 5 says, Remember ye not that when I was yet with you, I told you these things. Now this is a revelation to the church. Because in Second Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 3, 6, and 8, Paul uses the term revealed. Let's go back to verse 3, 2 Thessalonians 2, 3. Let no man deceive you by any means, for that day shall not come, except there come a falling away first, and that man of sin be revealed, the son of perdition. So Paul talks to the church at Thessalonica. He says, this is going to be a, a revelation. 
And what he's doing, he's giving us the protocol. He's, he's giving to us how this is going to unfold. Then he goes to verse 6, and now you know what withholdeth, that he might be revealed in his time. Who is going to be revealed in his time? The Antichrist. Verse 8. And then shall that wicked be revealed. And, 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 and it's the same meaning every time in verse 3, verse 6, verse 8, the word revealed. Why is that significant? Because if you go back and you study the Greek, when something is, is, is uh, not revealed, it means it has, like the new, the new uh, cars, uh, when they have the big meeting in, in, in Detroit, Michigan, they got all these new automobiles, and they have them covered up. Or, or a great statue that someone has made of someone else, but nobody knows what it looks like yet until they pull the, the sheet off of it, and then it's revealed. It's manifest. It's something that's been totally hidden, but suddenly it becomes disclosed to the public. Well, this is exactly what God's going to do. That's why we don't know who the Antichrist is, and we won't know until that revelation is made manifest. So, you know, there's people now, you know, projecting the possibility of another rapture with this new blood moon. Anybody that would believe that nonsense needs to get on your knees and repent and say, God, help me to quit being so foolish. You're not going to see a rapture anytime soon. You're not going to see a rapture, I promise you. You ain't going to see a rapture within the next four years. I said that to a preacher in 1994. He said, you can't say that. I said, I'm going to say it, and you come after me. Four years later, tell me if I'm right or wrong. Why? Because if you understand the Scriptures, God does have a timetable. God is the one who said, this is the first day, this is the second day, third, fourth, fifth, sixth. You rest on the, on the, on the Sabbath. And what do you do? You start over on the first day, Sunday. You start over again. It's God who established time. It's God who told Abraham, this time next year. God's the one that put 24 one-hour time zones in the world. That's why no man can know the day nor the hour, because it's going to be a different time all over the world when Jesus comes. And so this is so significant that what, what Donald Trump is doing is because I was, I was really giving this some serious thought, you know, because I'm, I'm, I'm a guy that's, that's pragmatic. You know, I, I, we, we hear the word dogmatic. Well, you got to understand what the word dogmatic means. We, 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 we've always been taught you're hard, you're ardent, you're adamant, you're unyielding. No, that's not what dogmatic means. The root word there is dogma, doctrine, tenet, what you believe in. So you're saying my doctrine, I won't, I won't budge on it. See, well, in 1994, the Lord impressed upon my heart. He said, don't blew all your prophecy down. Because I'm God and I move according to my timetable. There's so many people that's predicted the rapture, predicted the revelation of the Antichrist, and they've all been wrong. Every one of them have been wrong. And these pre-tribbers are so subtle. Now, I'm not saying it could happen this September, but it sure is a great opportunity. Well, listen, if it did take place, who's going to laud you and extol you and clap their hands and say, hey, you was right? See, it doesn't make sense to me when you look at it with pragmatism. What it is, Doug, it's sensationalism. And that's not the Word of God. The Word of God is not uh, a sensationalist. The Word of God is holy, pure, and true, and it doesn't change, it doesn't alter. And so what we see right now is a, is a, is a great, great move of God. Most people can't see it. 
But I thought about Donald Trump slash Cyrus. Now, God prophesied before, got to remember, this is before Cyrus. And by the way, Cyrus and Dyrus are the same people. We have no history where there was another king between Belshazzar and, and Cyrus. And that, I don't know why, maybe a copyist, when they were copying uh, the scriptures, made that that uh, mistake there, and I'm not going to say it's a, it, was a, it was a mistake in the sense like a human mistake, but somebody done something, because we have no history of another king between Cyrus and Belshazzar relative to the Babylonian kingdom. So it's the same man. So God preempted all of this years before, because he tells Jeremiah, Jeremiah 23 and 29, 70 years are determined upon the people. At the end of seven years, they're going to be set free. Don't you know that God knew who would be the king to overthrow the Babylonian Empire before the prophecy was given to Jeremiah? Seventy years. As a matter of fact, I can take you to the last verse in Second Chronicles 36, because I'm not trying to confuse anyone tonight, so please don't think I am. The chronology of the books are not always... In, in, in sync the way they happened and I'll, I'll show you like right here in second uh, chronicles uh, chapter 36 verse 23 thus saith king cyrus of persia all the kingdoms of the earth hath the lord god of heaven given me and he hath charged me to build him a house in jerusalem which is in judah who is who is there among you of all his people the lord his god be with him and let him go up so here we got that prophecy in in Second uh, Chronicles chapter 36, but we don't see it come to fruition until we read the book of Daniel in Daniel chapter 5 when uh, Belshazzar saw the writing on the wall, and that was when the Medo-Persian Empire came in, and they took him down. My point is, Satan can see, Satan can see the prophecies of God. But what always gets him is the timing. Now, for years and years and years and years, every president that I can remember all the way back to Carter have been trying to get a Middle East peace agreement, and it's been deemed a two-state solution. That's what we need, a two-state solution. What is significant about that is when Donald Trump became president, he said, I don't care if there's one state or two states. Well, what does that tell you? That tells you emphatically he's not a New World Order guy. That's 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 not in his that's not in his mind because he doesn't see it as they see it. See now, common sense tells me uh, the Palestinians should go to Jordan or Saudi Arabia or somewhere. All that land over there, and they uh, the Arabs have all this money, and if they want that one little piece of land, why? Because as I said weeks ago, God put His name over Jerusalem in Second Chronicles chapter six, verse six. So as God birthed in the heart of Cyrus and prophesied this 200 years before it would come to pass, Satan never knows who, where, or what in that context, how God's going to do it. He just says, I'm going to do it. And, of course, he's like Satan is like us in the sense we're waiting to see how God will do it. And, of course, Satan is the provocateur like Abraham. Say, hey, to Sarah, sleep with Hagar, and that's how we're going to have this baby. And God says, that was not the promise. I promised you and Sarah you would have a baby. See, so what was the devil doing? Again, 
appealing to their flesh. And they're trying to deduce and figure out, well, how can we have this baby? You know, Sarah's womb is dead. You know, Abraham must have just enough uh, left in him to have a child. But then God waits till he's totally impotent. He's totally dead. Her womb's dead. He's dead. He said, now, I will restore unto you the time of life, and you'll have this child just like I promised it. Now, as a human being, I look at all these aberrations. I look at all these time events and sequences. I'm like, how's God going to keep all this together? Folks, don't worry. God's going to keep it all together because he's God. He's going to do this the way he wants it done. If I get in the way, he'll move me. If the Hagmans get in the way, he'll move them. God's going to do what he said he's going to do. Trump says, I'm going to move the embassy. Late 2019. He's doing, in essence, what Cyrus did, but it's starting first in the spiritual. What did Donald Trump do when he did that? He's helping to lay the foundation of the third temple. He took the, 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 the Jerusalem, he took the bargaining chip off the table said, forget it. Now, you got to remember, Revelation 17, 17, I've quoted this, if not a hundred times, a thousand times. God hath put it in their hearts to fulfill his will. You think because you wanted to buy a Ford and didn't want the Chevrolet, God can put it in your heart to do that, and you think you're just making a prudent decision. You're not delusional. Trump's not delusional. Isn't it funny? Isn't it funny the things he's doing? It, who is it? It's the world. It's the world, the hatred in the media that wants to portray the man as having dementia. His cognitive uh, skills are waning. And he's losing. He can't function. He's distracted. He can't talk. He walks out of meetings. Why are they doing that? They're feigning him, portraying him as some man that's crazy. He's not crazy. You've got to remember there are two powers working here. There's God the Father, and there's the devil. And this, this clash, I was praying years ago, walking up down my house, in front of my house, and the Lord spoke to my heart. He said, if I were to open your eyes and open your ears, you could not bear to hear neither see the warfare that's taking place. You know, it, it, I, I, I saw it in my own imagination. God didn't give me this, but I was looking at it as a bunch of gladiators and chariots and horses, and they're in this vast arena, and they're, they're, they're running, and they're riding, and they're wielding swords, and you're hearing noise, you're hearing wheels, you're hearing shields, you're hearing swords, you're hearing spears, you're hearing arrows. All this stuff's going on. And God said, if I open your eyes and your ears and let you hear and see this, you physically, mentally, emotionally, you couldn't handle this. And I know there are probably some sitting there saying, well, I, 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 that's kind of crazy. You know, you, you, know you, you must be out of your mind. That's not what's taking place. Well, if you'll go back and read Ephesians chapter 6, you'll see what I just described in warfare. Paul said in Ephesians 6.10, Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that ye may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. Wherefore, take unto you the whole armor of God, that 
ye may be withstand in the evil day, having done all to stand. Stand therefore, having your loins girt about with truth, armor, having on the breastplate of righteousness, armor, your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace, armor, above, above all, taking the shield of faith, armor, wherewith you shall be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked, that's nothing but a weapon, and take the helmet of salvation, armor, and the sword of the Spirit, there's a sword, which is the word of God, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit, watching thereunto with all perseverance and supplication for all saints. And I thought, wow, if God would let me see the, the, the cinders, the sparks, all of this clanging, my, my little pea brain could not grasp all of that. It would scare me. It would probably terrorize me. The, 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 it'd be like being thrown in a, an arena like that, uh, like, like Ben-Hur. Just all of a sudden you drop in that, that stadium and, and you hear that you'd be trying to put your hands over your ears and close your eyes like, what in the world has just happened here? That's what's going on. And that's the realm that all of this is taking place in. So this, this, this unfathomable hatred, this unfathomable malice and maligning is demonic powers that's affecting this nation. And so God has chosen a foolish thing and raised it up and is challenging the world. And people are sitting back and, and their hatred is even getting worse. Uh, Doug, did you see Nancy Pelosi last night? Oh, yeah. <laughs> yes, I yeah. did. You know, I wish somebody would email her and tell her to quit sucking her teeth and picking her teeth after she eats before she comes to the the, the Capitol. You know, she looked like somebody that had, you know, frog legs stuck between her teeth trying to get them out. She was seething. Booker, the black senator. Oh, uh, he was Congress terrible. Party. He looked so oh, angry. These spirits, I'm telling you folks, this is spirit. It's more spiritual than it ever has been physical. And so God has raised up a bulwark. He's, he's opposing wickedness. And from the things I'm hearing and reading, once this thing starts unraveling, it's going to be ugly. And I can see civil unrest come this summer, depending on how much information is divulged. This will be a very tumultuous, tempestuous time. Getting back to Trump, he's laying already spiritually the foundation for the third temple. Now, I know there are going to be those, again, who are going to malign. There'll be those who castigate me and and uh, and all of those things, and they'll rail on the Zionists, you know. Uh, that That is so petty and so immature because they don't understand. If you don't understand Ezekiel 37, you're surely not understand Ezekiel 38 because God said, I'm going to raise up these dead bones. I'm going to send them back to their country. He brought, he's brought, they were dispersed. They were run all over the world. Now, again, I don't know who's the Israel of God and who's not the Israel of God. We don't know who's the wheat. We don't know who's the tare. We look at the fruit, and that's the best we can decide. Jesus said in Matthew 12, either make the tree good as fruit good or make the tree evil as fruit evil. There, there are Jews I know that are evil as hell. Yeah, they got a last name as Jewish. That doesn't mean they're the seed of Abraham. Go back and reread the 8th chapter of John. Jesus said, I know Abraham's your father. I know you're of the seed of Abraham, but you're of your father, the devil, which I believe they were Ishmaelites, 
and they were perverted to no end. So God already is beginning to lay a foundation, just like he told Cyrus he would do. He's laying a foundation for the temple to be built. Now, the question always is, when's the temple going to be built? I don't know. They claim there's enough land there to leave the Dome of the Rock and never bother it. I know when Yixhak Rabin was assassinated, John Paul, when he went to Yixhak Rabin's funeral, approached Leah Rabin and told her, said, Jerusalem is going to have to become an internationalized city. It must be the capital of three faiths, Islam, Judaism, and Christianity. I can see a scenario where all that's left over there, and they're able to build the third temple. Now, by no means is that temple, this, 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 this is a hard thing to really to get your head around. Is God doing it? Yes. But Satan's going to come step in the middle of that and desecrate the Holy of Holies. That's what the abomination of desolation is. See, the, the Antichrist will come on the scene. The false prophet will be there. If you read Revelation 13, that's why I wrote that book, Revelation 13 Revealed. The Antichrist will have an image made like unto him, and the false prophet will suffer the people. He will coerce the people to make the image. Then... The false prophet will give life to the image of the beast. And this image will obviously speak and do unbelievable things. But where it will be placed is what is the abomination of desolation. Where it will be placed is in the Holy of Holy, The Holy of Holies. That's where Satan will have this. And, of course, that's why it's going to make everything around there desolate. It's, all hell's going to break loose because the Jews are going to realize... Oh my God, this is this is an abomination because you know you, you don't worship idols and statutes. That's part of the law of the Ten Commandments, and it, it's just going to go crazy. The whole world is going to freak out. This is why I address the reason Satan took Jesus up to the pinnacle of the temple, and that's why he wanted him to cast himself off. In Matthew four or five, the devil taketh him up into the holy city and set him on a pinnacle of the temple, and Having read that for many years, I finally took the time to dissect that verse, and I found out where the pinnacle was. And the pinnacle of the temple was directly over the Ark of the Covenant in the Holy of Holies. So Satan was attempting a premature abomination of desolation. See, Satan knows there's going to be an abomination of desolation. It's just how will it come to pass? Who will be the, who will be the, the, uh, the actors? Who will be the players? Who, who will help this come to fruition? Well, that's going to be who God wills whoever God allows or suffers to go into that place. I don't know who the Antichrist is. Nobody knows who he is, though every man in the world just about has come along and said, tried to identify him. But it'll be somebody that will will sell his soul, just like Judas is carried. He sold his soul for 30 pieces of silver. See, Judas could have went out, I believe, and repented. But the guilt, the condemnation was so overwhelming. He went out, he hanged himself. Peter done no worse. He cursed and swore, I don't know. He denied Jesus. He, he, he obliterated the, the doctrine of, uh, of confession. Jesus said in Matthew 10, 32, Whosoever therefore shall confess me before men, him will I confess also before my Father which is in heaven. But whosoever therefore shall deny me before men, him will I deny also before my Father which is in heaven. Je uh, Peter denied Jesus before men. So had he died, it went to hell. Because Jesus taught that doctrine. And so he went out, he wept bitterly, he repented, got right with God. Judas 
goes back in uh, Matthew 23, 4, and 5, and he throws the 30 pieces of silver in the temple, and he says, I've condemned the innocent blood. And he goes out, and he hangs himself. I believe he could have repented. God didn't make him hang himself. That's what the devil does. The devil drives people to that place of, of that they feel like, I, I, I've cut myself off. Bible doesn't say that. Jesus did say, I've lost none but the son of perdition. Why was he the son of perdition? Because the word perdition means destruction. He's, he has sold me, and it's going to cause my demise. He is a type of the son of perdition. And then Jesus, or Paul says, the son of perdition, the Antichrist. In 2 Thessalonians 2, 3, again, let no man deceive you by any means, for that day shall not come, except there come a falling away first, and that man of sin be revealed, the son of perdition. Same spirit. Same spirit of destruction. Same spirit of, of carnage, death. It will be unbelievable. So, here's Donald Trump. We, we never know how and when God's going to do it. I think you guys have heard me say this, may remember it. To me, God's always the latest on-time God I've ever seen. From my perspective, he's always late. You know, you know why couldn't you come a day earlier? Why couldn't you come, you know, a week earlier? Uh, I'm sure I'm sometimes, Doug, you think, God, you could have surely moved yesterday and help me get out of all this pressure. Just, just one more day would have helped. But he does it according to his will. And he's, he's, he's molding us, and he's, he's fashioning us, and he's trying to help us. Uh, we're the ones that struggle and grapple to conform. So if they get the embassy, according to Trump, next year, sometime late 2019, the, the, the act of dividing Jerusalem will either be totally negated or just partially delayed. Now, here again, when we look at the scriptures, we have to try to see in there and discern them accordingly. Because God, as I said, he, he, he's going to do what he said he's going to do, and he's going to do it his way, and he's going to do it on his time frame. I, I, I cannot do anything uh, relative to how to change God's hand toward time. Because God's time is, is so relevant, and, and God's will, see... It has to be fulfilled. Now, he will do that, as I said, in his time. In his time. Now, the reason I, I, I brought this up was because of Joel, chapter 3, verse 2. He says in Joel, chapter 3, verse 2, I will also gather all nations and bring them down into the valley of Jehoshaphat, and will plead with them, therefore, my people and for my heritage Israel, whom they have scattered among the nations and parted my land. Now, I understand the, 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 them being dispersed all throughout the world, scattered among the nations. But that little phrase, and parted my land. Now, that, that could have been many, many years ago when under the uh, Ottoman Tur uh, Turkish Empire or before, I don't know. I, I, I can't say. But he alludes to the time of parting his land. Now, some people always took that to say, well, that will be when they divide Jerusalem. Well, Jerusalem was already divided. And in the Six-Day War, they conquered it, and they got it put back together from Jordan. Well, the question would be, will it be divided again? Well, as, as, as Trump did, he took Jerusalem off of the table and said, forget it. 
we're going to go on without you. We've tried and tried and tried and tried. And I remember reading some years ago when Yasser Arafat was still living. He, Yikshat Rabin, had given Yasser Arafat 98% of what he wanted. 98%. But he wouldn't give him that little 2%. That's why they never could get a peace agreement. Now you think about that. In, in most negotiations, you know, we want 50-50, you know. And anytime you go beyond that 55-45, 60-40, you feel like you're getting cheated. If they're getting the 60 and you're getting the 40, or they're getting the 55 and you're getting the 45, you're getting the short end of the stick. Think about that now, folks. 98% of what he wanted. Of course, it all came down to Jerusalem. So, is God setting up the way, the path, the means, the method for this third temple to be built? Because there is going to be an Antichrist come on the scene. I've heard every argument in the world why there's going to be no literal, physical Antichrist. It's a system, it's a program, it's a method. It's, it's, it's not a man. And, and I tell people, there's just a couple scriptures you've got to reconcile for me. And, of course, they, they won't. When I, when I give them the scriptures, they, they, they won't reconcile them because they can't reconcile them. So, well, you know, you're still wrong, Pastor Nightfoot, but I'm right. Well, Daniel 7, verse 11 says, I beheld then because of the voice of the great words, which the horn, the horn is, is, is the Antichrist, spake. I beheld even till the beast was slain and his body destroyed and given to the burning flame. So Daniel says he's got a body. Paul in Second Thessalonians 2.8 says, Then shall that wicked be revealed, whom the Lord shall consume with the spirit of his mouth, and shall destroy with the brightness of his coming. He's talking about a man. He's going to destroy this man. And and I won't go through all the scriptures, but we'll, we'll jump to Revelation 19 and 20. And the beast was taken, that's the Antichrist, and with him, personal pronoun, him, not system, not government, uh, not some institution, and the beast was taken, and with him, the false prophet, that wrought miracles before him, with which he deceived them that had the received the mark of the beast, and them that worshipped his image. These both men were cast alive into a lake of fire, burning with brimstone. Okay, so the the antichrist and the false prophet are cast alive into the lake of fire, and they're burning. All right. Now we jump to Revelation twenty and verse ten. Now, they've already been in hell for a thousand years. Now, I know my pundits out there don't believe in a thousand-year millennial reign of Christ. Well, again, you can't reconcile the Scriptures with that doctrine. Because in Revelation chapter 20, beginning at verse 2, verse 3, verse 4, verse 5, verse 6, verse 7, we see the word thousand years. But yet, these wannabe prophecy teachers, preachers, whatever they want to call themselves, how do you read that phrase thousand years seven times in a row, and yet you say, there's no thousand-year reign. There's no thousand-year uh, Satan being bound. So God obviously, see, men are making God the liar. 
They're, they're saying, God, your, your word is a lie. Okay, verse 10. And the devil that deceived them, the world, those at Jerusalem, was cast into the lake of fire and brimstone, where the beast and the false prophet are, and shall be tormented day and night forever and ever. Okay, the false prophet, the beast, the Antichrist, they've already been burning for a thousand years. They're not burned up yet. So we've got people out here writing books, because I've got them sent to me. Oh, after a few years in hell, you get out. There's no Bible, there's no scripture for that. That's just, that's just baloney. Because it says the beast and the false prophet were cast alive. By the way, let me throw you a real curve there. You've heard it said, all men must die. It's pointed that the man wants to die for this judgment, Hebrews 9, 27. I think what it says there in Revelation 19, 20, these both were cast alive. They never die. They're cast alive in the lake of fire. That's just something to make you dig on this week, the rest of the week, to find out where in the world of Pastor Land forget that. I got that from the Bible. But, but if it's an institution, if it's a system or whatever, how is it after a thousand years it's still existing? See, when you look at the Bible, we have to, we have to reconcile, and, and nobody knows it all. I mean, I, I don't know one grain on, the, on, the, on the, 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 the seashore of all the seashore in the world. I, if, if I know a grain, I might be fortunate. That would be all I know. Because this stuff unfolds as God wills it on his timetable. I mean, most people listening to me right now, that you still embrace a pre-tribulation rapture, and you were taught that doctrine, the person that taught you that doctrine thought they would be alive when Jesus came. But they didn't. My grandparents thought they'd be alive when Jesus comes. They didn't. My parents thought they'd be alive when Jesus comes. They didn't. I have conceded I may very well not be alive myself when Jesus comes. doesn't matter to me either way. But the point is... Everybody keeps believing in their generation because it's on God's timetable. It's these little finite minds cannot comprehend all of this. Let me, let me just say this in closing. We're out of time. Keep your face before the cross of Christ and your mind and your eyes in the Word of God because this stuff is going to get worse because Satan is going to rise up against this godly opposition. Uh, this man has people around him praying. They just attacked uh, Ben Carson the other day. Did you see that? About mm-hmm. having devotions? Yep, yep. And an atheist, you know, you're spending tax. you got to understand what's going This is This is pure demonic hatredness. And so this is why this thing's going to ratchet up, folks. Kind of, I mean, this is going to maybe sound morbid to some or sordid. I'm excited. I'm excited because I'm watching the Word of God as it comes to pass, and we're right in the middle of a great, great move of God. If you can see the move, if you can see God, you're, you can, you'll understand this is, the, this is the Lord's doing. God is doing this. Not the devil, but God's Word will be fulfilled, and it may look bleak, ominous, dark, or scary. Don't worry about it. God's in control. I hope I didn't belabor you guys tonight no no not, not at all and you uh just really expanded on pastor what we have been talking about for weeks now and and as we see it continue to to manifest uh, especially last night that this is a a spiritual battle at its foundation and it seems like these people are unable to hold their evil and their hatred in 
uh, and they're they're bursting at the seams. And I think uh, we're going to continue to see this manifest more and more and more from the media and the, and the people in Hollywood uh, as we continue to move forward. Because Trump is, uh, whether you like him as a as a person or a Christian or not, it doesn't matter what he represents is the Christian community right now in America and this is under attack from all sides and anytime he has any successes these people freak out and it's getting worse and worse and worse but it's a spiritual battle at its core absolutely and as I watch him I'm just like the old bulldog sick him. <laughs> yeah. you know get him get him boy get him and he's growling and he's chomping and, and they can't handle it because everywhere he does everything he does fundamentally is successful and that's why yep. they can't stand it. So let's just let's just keep praying for our president, keep praying for our nation. God is absolutely doing something. Amen to that. God's in control. Yes, th- th- thank you, Pastor. Okay, gentlemen, we'll see you guys next week, Lord willing. Amen. All right. All right. Good night, everyone. Bye-bye. That was pa- Pastor David Langford, the voice of evangelism. That'll do it for us as uh, the night comes to a close, this program comes to a close. Uh, d- don't forget, uh, this program will be uploaded uh, on YouTube. should be up there in the yeah. midnight, early morning. And, and if not, just just keep tapped. Look, look, it's going to take us a day or two to, to get the kinks worked out. If, if we're not... Uh, um, it, just go to HagmanReport.com for updates, and if we're not streaming video live, certainly the audio will be there. Uh, we're going to do what we can to um, mitigate this. Uh, but and, and, you know what? We saw this coming. This was coming, and we, we don't know. It might be uh, it might be cleared up by uh, the help with the help of Rhonda. So we don't know yet where we this stands or where this is going to how this is going to work out. But we'll continue to. Every, every problem's an opportunity. There you go. All right, folks. Good night. Hopefully that memo comes out. We'll see when we're back here tomorrow.